Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet radio network. Show Ali with you until 4 p.m. Eastern. Happy Halloween, everyone, as well, of course. Hope you all are staying safe ahead of your activities tonight. Maybe you're getting ready for an adult party or something. Maybe you're getting your kids ready for a go around the neighborhood. Maybe you're recovering from a Saturday night Halloween party yourself. Whatever the case may be, I hope you enjoy this uh, All Hallows' Eve. Uh, We're not going to reinvent the wheel here today for our our text line question because uh, I do want to know. I do genuinely want to know. It's always a hot topic. What is the best Halloween candy? I'm always really curious, right? I'm a a candy guy. I have a bit of a sweet tooth. So I want to know what is the best Halloween candy, but I also want to know what is the worst Halloween candy? Like, What's the worst thing candy-wise that you can find in your trick-or-treating bag later tonight. And I mean, let's keep it to candy. I don't want to hear any like, oh, toothbrushes and toothpaste. Yeah, I mean, like dental hygiene is important, but I don't want, I mean, that that that's not fun on Halloween, right? So what's the, what's the best Halloween candy and what is the worst Halloween candy? Uh, and if you text in your answer to that question at 595.90, leave your name and location, of course. I do have a gift card here for Ultimate Dining, which I believe can be used at a ton of different places, like some pubs. Um, I also believe some fast food joints like Harvey's and Swish LA, right? So if you text in your answer to that question, we'll discuss it throughout the afternoon until about 4 p.m. Eastern. You'll be entered into a draw for the gift card. Again, you can text us at 590-590 uh, this Halloween. Busy show today after a busy night in the city. The Leafs beat the Red Wings last night 5-4. to four. They hold on for the win. John Tavares with a three-point night. Mitch Marner gets a goal, finally. Morgan Riley signed the contract extension right before the weekend as well. So both Mike Stevens and Gord Stellick will be along today. Mike in a couple of minutes to help me break down the Leafs' second straight win. Uh, Gord will be along, I think, in the 3 o'clock hour. We'll also have the larger conversations about the NHL right now with Greg Wyshynski a little later on as well. I do want to ask him about the uh, hot starts for the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes are, I believe, 7-0-1 or 6-0-1. They are, I think, they don't have any regulation losses. Neither do the Panthers. Um, so anyway, so it's a, it's going to be a, a lot of fun with the rest of the NHL conversation with Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer for ESPN. Uh, the Raptors, of course, beat the Pacers on the second night of a back-to-back for a 97-94 win in Indiana. Scotty Barnes continues to impress for Toronto. We'll chat with Javon Shepard about the Raptors' start to the year. And then to wrap things up at 3.30, we'll get Brendan Deeg on uh, to help us break down the 1 p.m. NFL games, which, of course, are going on right now. So I hope you uh, set your fantasy football lineups in case you missed the fantasy show earlier this morning. Um, in case you forgot as well, the Argos clinched a playoff spot last night with a 31-29 OT win over the visiting Lions. I only mention it because we're not going to have any guests on to talk about it today. You can, of course, text us, but it was my first in-person Argos game for me since Cleo Lemon was the quarterback and damaged a tooth in a start. And I believe he had to get like emergency dental care after the game. Anyways, I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that McLeod Bethel Thompson is the uh, quote unquote answer at QB. But then again, it was cold. It was windy. It was rainy down at BMO Field. Uh, I believe there was over 9000 people in attendance. So I know there have been a lot of talk about, uh, you know, how many people have been in attendance uh, at Argos games, but boy, I gotta say, it was actually a pretty fun experience. People stamping their feet on the metal bleachers. It was actually the first time, I think, in my entire life I had been to BMO Field for any kind of event. 
I know, I know TFC, you know, played the, in their MLS cup seasons, the year they won and lost against the uh, Seattle Sounders in the MLS cup finals, those back-to-back years. I, I had never gone down to BMO field. Um, it's a great little venue. Um, I had, I have been to Rico Coliseum before, which is, I believe now called Coca-Cola Coliseum, but uh, it's funny. I'd never been to BMO. So a fun experience down for Argos game day. And of course they win uh, 31, 29 in overtime over the BC lions and clinch a playoff spot. Uh, in the process. But right now, I do want to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, and Mike Stevens, as I mentioned before, writer for Sports Illustrated and the Hockey News and co-host of the Staff and Graph podcast joins me right now. And uh, Mike, I guess all now is well in Leafs land, I guess for now, after a 5-4 win over the Red Red Wings. Um, Again, at the same time, how much do you... How much do you have to pause because the last two straight wins, again, that is encouraging, but they are also against teams like the Blackhawks and Red Wings. I think for the fans, they should definitely take these two wins as just like, hey, just win, baby. We got it. Because this, let's be real, like in terms of, you know, perception around the team, this has been a truly, uh, in the team of Halloween, spooky start. Um, But a win is a win. You know, at the same time, these last two wins, uh, they were, you know, by the skin of their teeth. Like against, you know, Chicago is one, I believe the only team in the league that still doesn't have a win. Uh, they're 0-7-2. And those, one of those two uh, losses, one of those two points, comes against the Leafs in overtime. So that's a team that they absolutely should have won. And then last night at home against a Red Wings team that was missing their leading scorer slash best player and was on the second half of, of a road back-to-back. And they surrendered two straight, um, or not two straight, but two uh, different separate uh, two-goal leads in the game and allowed them to almost make a huge uh, third-period comeback by, you know, making it, allowing uh, the Red Wings to make it 5-4 at the end of the third period with about 30 seconds left. That's not ideal. One thing, too, is that, you know, before the game, Sheldon Keith was talking about how, like, essentially getting his blue line right, getting getting the defensemen playing back to the level that they that they are were used to at least last season was the primary focus. And you know, aside from certain players, that didn't necessarily happen last night. So I think there's, I think you know, the Leafs will they'll take a win, like the two wins. You know, it's a long season. You got to stack them up, especially in a division in a division that's going to be as tight as the Atlantic is this season. But there's definitely a lot of work for them to do. And so, yes, I would say the optimism is about as cautious as it comes, but it's optimism nonetheless. All right, let's talk about the defensive pairings, of course, since you brought it up. I mean, I think uh, we'll talk about the Morgan Riley contract and what that means for the rest of the defensive core and the, and the big four and so on in a, in a bit here. But um, I wanted to get your thoughts, Mike, on the uh, Sandine-Lilligren pairing. Because I thought, I mean, of, of all the defensemen last night, I, I was really encouraged, let's say, by what I saw out of both Sandine and Lilligren. Oh, absolutely. That was, without a doubt, that was Lilligren's best game as an NHL player. Like, but, you know, hands down, um, he's, you know, he, he's doing, he looked perfect. And I think it was not perfect, but he looked fantastic for what he gave them. Him and Sandy, I mean, like, it really does go to show that chemistry is so important. And, you know, a lot of us can make our mock lineups, but penciling Sandy and Lilligren together, they, they just click. Like, they, they know exactly where, they, where each other are on the ice. They, they complement each other's games. Uh, and it was really evident in a couple of, of plays that when you're making them at a high, you know, at the pace of a game when they're high leverage plays um, and, and are essentially just completely based on feel, it's really important to, to have a guy who's just, whose next move you can sort of telegraph already uh, playing next to you. Lillard's performance, too, it, what was the most important part of it is that it came in, ab- in the absence of Justin Hall with a healthy scratch. And Keith was talking about that uh, before the game is that they essentially decided not to just not to limit Hall's minutes or, or bumping down the third pair, but kind of 
do the harsh move and scratching of it, sort of like a shock to the system because he's still an extremely important player uh, for them. And they think that, you know, all right, like, let's sit you. That's, this is a big message. Come out, play, you know, play your butt off, get back to the level we need you to do. And if that's, if that happens, if Hall does come back and is the player that, you know, he was last year, the Leafs expect him to be, that gives, that essentially gives the Leafs, um, you know, three really good, I want to say right side uh, defensemen because Brody's a left shot, but he plays the right side. That gives them a, a, like three pairings with three very competent, if not good, you know, right shot, right side defensemen in, in Brody, uh, Hall, and then Lilligren, who give them options. And it, ha- it also comes at a really good time, too, because Travis Dermott was given, you know, a grade A opportunity, you know, like a, yeah. to, to lock down a top four role last night alongside the team's number one defenseman in, in Morgan Riley. And he looked terrible. Like, great guy, but he looked terrible. And so, Lilligren, I don't think he's coming out of the lineup anytime soon. Dermott was playing on his, you know, was playing on his offside because he's, he's, a, he's a left shot. He's played on the right side before, but he's a left shot playing on the right side. Lilligren's emergence, and if he can keep this up, I mean, that gives them options. That gives them, you know, two pairings of, Muzz, of you know, however you want to slot it, Hall-Riley, Hall, Muzzin-Brody, or Muzzin-Hall-Riley-Brody. Um, that gives them a legit top four, and then you can unleash, you know, a, a Sandin and Lilligren pairing in sheltered minutes on, you know, third, fourth lines that can really dominate. So Lilligren before, like, he gave them potential, but now he gives them options. And if this shock to the system works with Justin Hall, having Lilligren become a piece for you now, especially a cost-effective one, now that – you know he's still on an ELC and he will be for the next couple of years. That's huge. For, that's a huge. That's huge for the outlook of the Leafs. And and uh, yeah. So him. So him really coming into his own last night is nothing but a positive. Chatting with Mike Stevens here, a Leafs and NHL writer for the Hockey News, and of course the co-host of the Staff and Graph podcast. Um, I do want to focus a little bit on Sandine as well. And I mean, certainly um, Lilligan was a lot of fun to watch. Like you were saying, I'm really encouraged by what we were talking about. Um, it's with Sandine too. I just feel like one of the things I love watching from him and I'm curious as to what other parts of his game you really like to see, but he certainly his passing, he certainly seems to have great vision. Um, and then he, he just like the, I guess maybe a better way of saying it, Mike, is he a lot of quick passing to constantly have the puck on his stick or Lilligan stick, which I got to say, I mean, he, he always, always seems to make such good decisions. And I know it's been, it's taken a, a little longer than I think most fans would have liked to see um, someone like him come up and actually play at the NHL level. But I guess the other half of that, I guess, equation is that with defensemen, it just takes a little bit longer sometimes, just overall, to get the the real sense of what they are, or where they might be in their NHL development. I mean, even look at someone like Victor Hedman, right? I think he, I, I want to say he was the number one overall pick the year he got drafted. And I mean, heck, he, t- he was all, also in the minors before he came up and started being the guy he is today. Yeah, hundred. Well, yeah. What's funny is that Hedman was, I believe, the second pick behind right, Tavares right. in that draft. So, I mean, he, you know, it all it all comes back to Leafs. But yeah, no, it's uh, you. You mentioned it. Sandine's hockey IQ is the thing that is going to propel. Like he's he's a good skater, but he's not an elite skater. He's got a good shot, but he doesn't have an elite shot. You know, we can go. To, he's not. He's like he, he's he's small, but can throw his body around. But his size isn't the big. The biggest thing for him is that he makes. He makes the right decision pretty much 99% of the time. And that, that comes down in, in passing, absolutely. But it also comes in, in – it, it helps him in his offense. I think there's a reason why he's been one of the only Leafs defensemen to be able to generate legitimate offense or at least scoring chances from the point um, because he, he picks his spot. And, like, you know, obviously, you know, Tyson Berry is still giving Leafs fans, you know, PTSD from his years of just, like, random floaters from the point that would be deflected. And Riley sometimes has that kind of syndrome too, where Sammy picks the spots. But another, and this, this came on a play last, um, uh, last night, is he knows when to pinch, he knows when to drop down, he knows when to attack. And there was one, I believe it was during, 
I don't think it was during a power play, but it was close. And essentially, um, I think it was Marner had it on the, the half wall and Sandine was, was on the opposite side kind of, of or on the same side as, as him. And he just decided to, to jump down from the point sort of find a little a little breathing room in the slot and you know if that if his stick was positioned maybe like you know one degree in a different direction that's a that's a, a deflection to the net he's, he's an incredibly smart player and so to have a guy like that who's already you know he's got the thinking part of the game down at this at this early stage is, is extremely important like Sandine has looked unbelievable this season I think he's been their best defenseman just like through and through and yes he's not getting the top top matchups but you know you need it, it's it's all like you said. It's all an incremental growth. And if he's now able to dominate third pairing matchup or yeah, third pairing matchups, then he gets bumped up to second pairing matchups. If he's able to do well there, then you know we'll see. He, I think a lot of people when he first got here thought, all right, this guy's like a he'll be a good like number three defenseman. I think that's what he's looking like, like a high end number three. I think this guy, you know, if he if he keeps it up, he can he can challenge for a top pair spot and having a homegrown good defenseman like that up there alongside what will likely be another homegrown uh, defenseman in Morgan Riley. I mean, uh, for the next, you know, like decade or so that that's great for the Leafs. So Sandine has, has, he's just really elevated his play this season and it could not have come at a better time because he, he deserves the opportunity. And a lot of the time in, you know, with these Leafs, you know, they're, they're like I just mentioned with Dermot, they're given opportunities and they don't kind of grab them and run with them. Sandin's gotten an opportunity this year, especially, you know, on, on his little bit of power play work too. And he's grabbed that opportunity. And so, yeah, he's, he, he, he's going to be an important piece for this Leafs team for years to come. So Mike, I do want to mention, or pardon me, I do want to ask you about the Morgan Riley deal, $7.5 million for the next eight years. Uh, that's like, that's for sure a steal, right? I mean, I always expected whatever deal Morgan Riley would command as a free agent would probably have started with an eight. So for him to, you know, take seven and a half, it may not be like a massive discount, but I mean, heck maybe, maybe he could have gotten what Dougie Hamilton got, right? I'm just, I just, I guess I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised despite the fact that now a large portion of the cap is now tied up in a small percentage of players. That's a whole other conversation, but I, I got to say for basically, I, I think he's the longest tenured Maple Leaf right now for, for that contract. I, I am pleasantly surprised that the Dubas and the Leafs got it done with Riley. Yeah, no, it's, I wouldn't say it's a steal. I'd say it's fair. And I mean, okay. especially, okay, when you look at, it is a steal when you look at the deals that other defensemen of lesser quality are getting, like, you know, Seth Jones is now going to be making $9.5 million starting next year, and Morgan Riley is a better defenseman than Seth Jones. And, you know, like Darnell Nurse is going to be making close to that, you know, like over $9 million for the next, you know, eight years. And Morgan Riley is, I think, better than Darnell Nurse. The only thing, is, like, I think it's fair in the sense that, like, handing a – Morgan Riley is a fantastic offensive defenseman. He does, But the thing is, he does give a lot back in his own zone. And I think handing, you know, a, a defenseman $60 million over the next, you know, eight years um, – Handing it to, to a guy who's you know approaching thirty, whose biggest flaw um, lies in his own end, is somewhat dicey. But at the same time, though, I think it is. I think a it's it's a phenomenal message to send to the rest of the room. This guy's been here forever. He has been like Marner, Marner, Matthews, Nylander, whatever. Like they've they've been here, and yes, there've been some dark times. Morgan Riley has been through the thick of it. Like Morgan Riley, he wasn't on the ice, but he was on the team for you know Game Seven in 2013. It was four one. He was through. He was he was there and kept competing and playing through the horror check years and he stayed with the team. He's been nothing but a, you know, a consummate professional and, and a guy who likely should have been the captain. Like yeah. I think Tavares is a great captain, but you know, if we're going on legacy, he should have been, a, he should have been definitely up there. And I think him leaving some money on the table to commit to, to the team for so long, that sends 
a very, I mean, you at least have to have one guy do that, right? Because all the stars, all the core guys just took the leaf to the woodshed. And now at least you have your number one defenseman go, I love it here. I've been here through, through the darkest days. I've been through the brightest days. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave some, some dollars on the table so I can stay here. It's not, it's not egregious. That's great. Um, and, and the eight-year commitment, like, it, it might not look great in the last two, three years, but Leafs' contention window is, is right now, and I think it's also as long as Matthews stays. And, and Riley will be at the apex of his prime for the remainder of Matthews' contract, and, and if Matthews signs an extension after that, you know, through the, first, the initial years of that, too. I think it works great. And, and as well, when it comes to cap it, it's essentially completely – like, it's essentially canceled out completely by – the 1.2 million of Phil Kessel's retained salary coming off the books uh, next year, which is a thing that is still happening. Some Leafs fans forget, but the Leafs are still paying Phil Kessel 1.2 million against the cap, and the cap is supposed to um, go up by I think 1 million next year, as, as reported. So Morgan Riley's 2.5 million um, raise—that's 2.2 million of it already accounted for. So he's almost—he's almost going to be making in terms of what uh, of, of of what it'll be like compared to this year, next year, the same. So you essentially just were able to lock them up to, to close to the cap it for the next eight years. That's a steal. I, I like that. I wouldn't say that's a steal, but that is, that is some good business. And especially in the next couple of years, that'll, that'll really help them. Steal is, is a bit tough just because of his age and just because he's, you know, he's not like a dominant two-way defenseman. Right. But for a guy who, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, put up 72 points as a defenseman, who, you know, who's going to be good on the power play, who can move the puck like he can, who's, you know, can munch the minutes like he can, 10.5 million, that, that's, that's good in my book. That's completely fair. Do you think it's, like, completely out of line? And I, I'm talking with Mike Stevens from the Hockey News and co-host of the <laughs> Staff and Graph podcast. Do you think it's completely out of line to say, and I know neither, neither you nor I probably know the exact cap situation for literally every other team in the NHL. But I mean, with the, with the COVID being, you know, no one could have obviously predicted COVID being what it was and its impact on professional sports from hockey and every other sport out there, basically. But I mean, COVID coming at the time it did that perhaps maybe it's fair to say that no other team in the NHL was impacted quite as the Leafs were. Yeah, I would say so. Like it's the Leafs, they gave, they gave their stars all that money. A, because they, they wanted desperately to keep them, but also, B, I think because they're under the expectation that the cap is going to go up and the cap percentage is going to go down over time and, you know, like this, that, and the other. And also, another thing, too, is that, like, because of COVID, a lot of the, like, prospect development has been disrupt- right. disrupted. And so I think, like, some of that, too, they were thinking, oh, you know, at least, at least like, we'll have, we can sub some guys in on GLC that are going to come soon to offset some of this as well. And yet now these prospects, because of this disruption, because of, you know, it has, has kind of backed them up. The Leafs are, I would say, like, if you look at other teams in, in quote-unquote, like, in, in the cap doldrums, um, like, I look at San Jose, for example, have all these older contracts and can be terrible. Yeah, those are going to be terrible contracts no matter how much the cap went up, just because they're old guys that can't contribute, whatever. At least the young stars on the Leafs can contribute. And what they were hoping for is, you know, the incremental rise of the cap. Like, they were expecting the cap to be at, like, you know, like near $90 million at this point, right? Because, like, that's what, that's what it was looking like from a growth perspective. And for it to stay completely stagnant, really, really, hand, like, hamstring them. So, yeah, when it comes to – I mean, again, I don't have every team's cap sheet in front of me, and I haven't done all the, all, all, all the uh, due diligence on this. But I think, you know, when it came to teams who, were, who, made, who conducted business on the assumption that – 
you know, with each year, there'd be a little more wiggle room to go. And then that wiggle room was completely, you know, laid stagnant. I think that really, really hurt the league. Yeah, I, I would probably agree. I mean, again, like you said, we don't have the details on literally every other team or every other player, but it certainly seems like if, yeah, they're like they're pretty high up there if they're not at the top, right? Um, but before I let 100%. you go, Mike, I, I do want to ask you, uh, in honor of Halloween, I, I've been asking uh, people on the text line what their what the best Halloween candy is. I know, not exactly a shocker of a question, but what the best candy is and what the worst candy is to find in your, uh, your trick-or-treat bag. Where do you land on best and worst? Well, that's good. I mean, I, I got to say the best is, is the houses that give out the baked chocolate bars, Ooh, okay. right? Like that is, I mean, like those, those were like, you walk up to a house and you're expecting to get maybe like a handful of like, you know, a couple, a couple small ones, but the people who gave out like one or two, you know, like full Butterfingers or full Snickers are, are, are huge. I'm, I'm a big peanut butter and chocolate guy. Like I love that combination. I think it's, you know, maybe the greatest thing that the industrial revolution <laughs> has produced. Right. Um, so, so fantastic. Um, so that, that so I'm a big fan of that. In terms of worse, I mean, it's got to be candy corn. Like candy corn is terrible. I mean, anyone who thinks candy corn is good, or like the packing peanuts, like the are terrible too. Um, and anything cinnamon flavored. I hate cinnamon <laughs> candy. Right. So anytime someone gave you like you know Red Hots or something like that, it's just you know that's going right. Like I have a little sister, and so anytime I got those, I'm like, all right, that's going right to my little sister. And I didn't even know she liked them. I'm just like, I don't want these. Here you have them. So yeah, it's. I miss, I, you're making me miss uh, the trick-or-treating days, man. I think I'm, I'm 25. I'm a little too old to be showing up at, uh, at my neighbor's doors, you know, with a pillowcase, but it brings back some good memories. Yeah, so I would say that the big chocolate bars specifically, you know, maybe like the Reese's, Butterfingers, Snickers, 100%, candy corn and packing peanuts and, and, and anything cinnamon-flavored, no thank you. All right, I, I, you know what? I, I can respect that. I see someone, Chris and Mimico, just texted in to say, best Halloween candy was Reese's Pieces. So I think you and Chris yeah. are, are in agreement on that, Mike. Chris, you're, you're my guy. I, fantastic, fantastic take from Chris. <laughs> All right, well, I hope you manage to get some Reese or uh, some full-size chocolate bars later today, uh, Mike, if you do <laughs> go out even, even to the grocery store. But again, I th- appreciate you popping on with me today to chat some Leafs, and uh, happy Halloween. Thanks so much, man. Take care. Have a happy Halloween. All right, there he goes. Mike Stevens, co-host of the Staff and Graph podcast and, of course, Leafs and NHL writer for the Hockey News. Yeah, I'm asking you guys, what is your favorite Halloween candy and what is your least favorite Halloween candy? I want to know, and if you text us, you will be entered into a draw to win a, uh, a modest gift card for uh, Ultimate. I think, again, I think look at the gift card. I think it says Ultimate Dining on it, but essentially a gift card for like Harvey's and Swiss Chalet and a variety of other uh, establishments as well. I mentioned Chris, uh, he and Mimico saying uh, best was Reese's Pieces, worst by far are Tootsie Rolls. It's dry. <laughs> I've never been a huge fan of Tootsie Rolls. I don't know about you guys, but Tootsie Rolls are like, I can't, it's so difficult to eat, like stick your teeth and stuff. I don't know. I just, I never really care for Tootsie Rolls. Um, let's go back down uh, to some of the earlier ones. I see uh, someone texting in saying, uh, I think apples are the worst for handing out and those small chocolate bars are great. I appreciate you listening very much. Um, Victoria is also on the same uh the same page, let's say, as uh, as Mikey's so worst candy corns, best candy chocolate, certainly as well. That's a pretty good one. Uh, and Mike saying happy Halloween. Molasses kisses and candy corn are the worst, and some of the best are the cookies and creams, chocolate, also coffee crisp, a very uniquely Canadian uh, treat as well. Coffee crisp is right, the coffee wafer chocolate, let's say. But uh, a lot of people saying they dislike candy corn. Which I guess is fair. I also do not like candy corn. If uh, so, again, you can text us uh, your favorite and least favorite Halloween candies this All Hallows Eve. Um, you know what? If you like candy corn, shoot me a text as well because I I don't think I have ever in my life 
met anyone who actually actively likes candy corn. But again, you can uh, text. See, someone else just texted in. Best Wonder Bar, worst candy corn. So there you go. <laughs> no votes in favor of candy corn. So if you're a big candy corn supporter, I speak up now or forever hold your peace. Okay. But uh, you're listening to Sportsnet today. I'm Show Ali. Next up, we will hear from the principals in last night's 97-94 Toronto Raptors win over the Indiana Pacers. It's the Raptors' third straight win. Uh, I believe it was the second night of a back-to-back they won as well. So a lot of fun stuff from the Toronto Raptors. We'll hear from Nick Nurse, and we'll hear from Svi Mihailuk and a couple other players as well. But that's straight ahead on Sportsnet today. I'm Show Ali. We'll be right back after these messages across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Many scary songs as possible today. Keep them coming, Andrew Holland, our technical director, as we welcome you back to Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet radio network. Show Ali with you until 4 p.m. Eastern. Celebrating a happy Halloween today. Halloween is tonight. So again, you know, stay safe if you're going out, if you're or if you're recovering from a Saturday night party, because, you know, Monday tomorrow, not everyone can party on a Sunday, but I do wish everyone a safe and exciting Halloween. Uh, we're asking you to uh, give me on the text line, 59590, what your favorite and least favorite Halloween candy is. So what's your favorite thing to find in the trick-or-treat bag? And conversely, your least favorite candy or I guess uh, treats, let's say, in the bag on Halloween as well. I see uh, Mike in Port Hope. Uh, best Halloween candy, Twix bar for sure. The worst was one year when the dentist neighbor down the street was handing out toothbrushes and dental floss. Dental, I mean, I look, you know what? Good for that guy for, I guess, like capitalizing on some business or, you know, trying to remind people there's a dentist in the neighborhood. Uh, you know what? Kudos to that guy. But come on, man. Nobody wants Nobody wants floss and toothbrushes on Halloween. Like, it may, you know what? I would settle from a dentist for like those, you know, like the gum that you chew and it like cleans your teeth or, or what have you. Again, I don't know if that's real or not, but at the same time, uh, I would settle for that over like toothbrushes and floss. Like, come on, man. But either way, you can text us at 590-590, name and location, best and worst Halloween candy on this Halloween. Uh, I mentioned before the break, we will hear some of the principles from last night's 97-94 win for the Raptors over the Pacers, their third straight win. And Scotty Barnes has been impressive. I got to say, we're going to talk to Javon Shepard at the top of the next hour about the Raptors and, and their start to the year. You know, it's been a bit up and down, but boy, it has been a lot of fun to watch the Raptors this year and specifically Scotty Barnes. Um, he did jam his thumb. I think, was it on the final play of the game last night? He did jam his thumb. He looked like he was having trouble taking the headset off. I think he did go for x-rays and they were negative. So it looks like he's fine. It feels like that's probably going to be a pain tolerance thing. So we'll have to monitor the status of Scotty Barnes going forward. Um, before we get to Nick Nurse, we'll hear from Nick Nurse in a second here. Before we get to that, I just wanted to say real quick, Matt Devlin is a hero. He's a hero. Honest to goodness. He is a hero for, for really grinding and gutting through that broadcast last night. I mean, he sounded kind of like off 
throughout the game. And then I think you could see him taking gulps of what looked like herbal tea throughout the game and a fisherman's friend. And he sounded like he was whispering very gravelly towards the end of the game. And you know what? Matt is a friend of the station, of course, comes on whenever we ask him to. Always super generous with his time. So for him to just gut through that, I have nothing but the uh, utmost respect for Matty D because he is a he is a treasure. And um, I hope he feels better soon because that was it was tough, I'm sure, to hear that. But uh, I, I'm, I respect him all the more for gutting through that game. Certainly. Hey, look, three nights in four, three games in four nights is uh, easy on uh, no one. The players, most of all, but certainly the broadcasters, second of all. But uh, one guy who it was easy for last night after a tough win was head coach Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors. He spoke to the media following last night's 97-94 win. Let's hear what he had to say. You were looking for some guys to provide some spark off the bench. And I guess Shvi and Cam really, uh, really carried that second group tonight. Yeah, I, I, they did, and I also I thought Delano and Chris were good too, Doug. I, I know uh, I thought Chris had a, hit a big shot. I thought Delano played a long stretch of, of just solid basketball out there. He didn't make many plays offensively, but he was he was playing good defensively. But Svee got on a run there. <laughs> we ran him all the way till he couldn't couldn't hardly go anymore there, and, and he asked to come out. But that was a great contribution from both those guys. I think all four of them really. Wistry, we've spoken often about his athleticism is a little bit more than people than you would have thought, maybe by his, by his reputation. We saw him with the behind the back, the lefty dunk, he had that great left-handed finish at the rim. Is that the kind of progression you've seen since you've had him? I guess in the middle of summer. Well, yeah, I think I think we've seen a lot of that stuff. Uh, Doug is probably why I made some of those well, comments and had him in the rotation early that we thought that we thought he was. Uh, a pretty good all-around player. Um, and I think he's figured out a little bit. He, I think he got himself in, in some tight jams there early in the first couple games. Um, and um, he just figured out how to not, you know, not get himself into too many close quarters, I guess, would be a, be a way of putting that. But he can, you know, he can shoot and he can drive and he plays pretty hard on defense. I just want to ask you about Scotty. He uh, ended the game. It looked like his uh, he was favoring his right hand there. Did uh, yeah. did you see it and uh, anything going on there? Uh, I did see it, uh, Mike. He, he is getting it looked at right now. I don't I don't really have anything to report. I know I know he's getting it looked at right now as I was coming here to, to media. All right, and I mean um, you mentioned Kim. I asked about him before the game. He did he did end up. I mean he took some of Precious's minutes tonight. I mean you said that's going to be uh, pretty fluid. Are you kind of that's still playing with that back and forth? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that, um, um, you know, it's it's not everybody's going to have it every night, and that's what that's what you need guys to do is to fill in like that. Um, but but I think again, the position uh, it's kind of, it's kind of what you got a couple guys there for. You know, you'd love them to share it and both play great each night and and all that kind of stuff. But I think. That's kind of what it is. is you see who's got it going or who's got a better matchup or who's got fresher legs or whatever uh, the case may be. And um, tonight we needed Kim, you know, um, and, and, he, and he ran a lot, of more, a lot more minutes. Another game against the Pacers, another game where you get more offensive rebounds than they do, which, you know, they would seem to be one of the teams that would really maybe hurt you guys on the offensive glass. What are you guys doing to keep that from happening? Well, um, we're, you know, we're just trying to old school it, uh, <laughs> Eric, we're trying to get, 
they're trying to get more bodies than they got in the paint. We're trying to get more more blockouts, and when it does finally come up, we're trying to we're trying to jump a little higher and, and keep keep balls alive or keep them away from getting them on the defensive end. And you know, we're trying to try to get our share on the offensive end this year, and we're doing so far. We're doing pretty good with that. Uh, seems like we're trying to find a new way to ask about Scotty every game. Uh, his his touch around the rim, whether it's using the glass, has that, I don't want to say surprise, did you see that right away? And uh, how has it grown? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, pretty much all of his offensive stuff, um, we're still learning. Eric, you know, what, what he's going to do, I think, again, you know, 17 shots in a game for him is, is quite a few, right? I mean, I love it. it, it it's quite a few, but it's not enough. Right. I mean, I mean, it is, but it, I mean, just, just kind of in his, his historical, you know, he just isn't a high volume shot taker. So learning what, what he can do and, and different things he can do. Um, I think we're still all just kind of seeing what that is, but he's showing a nice uh, ability to drive it, you know, coast to coast. He's showing a, a decent uh, kind of mid range pull up game when they stay off him. He's showing a little bit of a, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say a back to the basket game. It's kind of almost a side to the basket. You know, he kind of gets his body between him and the man and he, and he gets his long reach up over the top of people. And he's got a pretty good knack of chasing his own misses as well. So that's what I've seen so far. We'll see what else we see here coming up. This is a pretty physical game. And mm-hmm. I, and like obviously coming up, up a back to back, you know, like it might've been tired legs, but like defensively, like you guys kind of, hung like hung tough there so like what does that speak to the character of, of your team that you guys are man- managed to like kind of weather this physicality and and still will kind of lock in on defense what you guys did if it means anything at all oh it means a lot I, it's a good question because i think that um you know i've mentioned it a couple times the, the the physicality rate is is way up there and there's some portions of the game where you really got to play through you know, some collisions at the offensive end. We, I think we got one bucket where there was about three, like, bona fide collisions in one possession, and we ended up somehow grabbing it and laying it in or something like that. So so um, being able to uh, handle the ball through that, I thought we had a, we had a real problem early with it. We, we just were not tough enough and catching strong enough and, and ripping through strong enough. I thought we went through again a really long stretch of taking care of the ball. Then at the end again, we had a couple, couple of more that got away from us. But it was physical. It's not easy to just execute simple stuff in a physical game. You know, just just a dribble handoff, as you can see, are are, are getting. You know, there, there's some there's some when they get them blown up. You know, two four guys just kind of go into a go into a pile there, and got to got to be really tough to play that way. But again, I thought we I thought we did a better job in the second half of of playing physical without fouling, right? Uh, we we put our body on them and didn't get called for too many um, shooting fouls in the second half, if any. And then, but um, uh, before before the, the end of, of the first half, like like you gave Malachi a little bit of run, um, like like what, what did you see from from him there? Yeah, I, me- I meant to make that was getting ready to be a lot longer run. I think at about the six minute mark, I called him to sub in. And uh, I think that was right, right as he was going to the bench. I think, I think Spee made about two or three plays in a row. So we, and then they called a timeout. I was actually getting ready to make two subs. And then we just kind of went on a, that group went on a mini run. So I decided to leave him. 
and uh, it didn't work out. I mean, I think they out of the timeout they went on a mini run, so it didn't work out the the way I hoped the, the momentum didn't carry forward. But uh, again, on a night like tonight, I was just looking for a little bit of an X factor and some fresh legs and and uh, maybe a shot maker. So I gave him a shot at it. He didn't get to do much out there. It was a three minute run, but you know he's got to stay ready, and and we believe in him. And you know when he gets his chance here coming up, he'll hopefully he'll he'll take advantage of it. That's Nick Nurse chatting with the media following last night's 97-90 Raptors win over the Indiana Pacers. You know, one thing about the Toronto Raptors so far this year, win or lose, they are, and, and you heard Stephen Leung of, uh, of Sportsnet asking the last two questions to Nurse there. You know, one of the things, and Stephen talked about the physicality, this team is so physical. They are so much fun to watch because they are relentless with the physicality. I mean, this team, I, I'm sure you've all seen this, whether you uh, follow on social media or you hear the broadcasts on TV or radio um, for either outlet, either station, what have you, everyone is mentioning this stat, which is that the Raptors by far lead the NBA in this young season so far in deflections. And they are, I think a large part of it has to do with the fact that the Raptors are a massive, super long team, right? Like everyone on this team is has huge wingspan, I guess like with the exception of Fred Van Vliet, who we'll hear from in a second, but it's just the entire team is so physical, so relentless, and they never, never stop. And I'm sure a big part of it is that they're young, they're super athletic, and uh, whenever, whenever they send, they're just, they're, they're, the rotation out there against whoever they're playing, it is just a wave after wave after wave of like identically sized wing players. And they, and they just tire the defense out no matter who it is. Like, sure. I'm sure when we get to games against the 76ers and if they play the Lakers this year or other teams that have massive guys in the front court, like Joel Embiid or like an Anthony Davis. And I realize that those are two of the better players just period in the NBA. So that's like a, that's a, another conversation entirely, but generally speaking, uh, the Raptors, I think, will probably have their hands full at the very least with bigger guys in the front court. But heck, even look last night. Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis are both guys who are taller than seven feet. And guys like Scotty Barnes, and Scotty is a, certainly a special individual, but he was going into the paint over and over and over again. I think all nine of his shot attempts came in the paint and he got all nine baskets and putting his shoulder into Turner's chest and Sabonis as well, going up and getting offensive rebounds. It is really exciting to watch. And I, I think once Pascal Siakam comes back, it'll be even more fun to watch when it comes to the, the defensive combinations that can be rolled out there and how Siakam matches up well with Scotty Barnes. But again, like nurse said, we're going to have to monitor that thumb situation for Scotty. Again, I think the x-rays came back negative, but they might, you know, he's their prized rookie. They might opt to give him a night off. And admittedly, there is no one else in the Raptors who can do exactly, exactly what Scotty Barnes can do through this young season. But one leader of this young team, a guy whose role I think has matured, especially in the absence of Kyle Lowry, basically as the leader of this team, the guy who's going out there and, and kind of marshalling the troops, let's say, on a nightly basis is Fred Van Vliet. Even when the shot is not falling, Fred is so much fun to watch. He spoke to the media following last night's 97-94 Raptors win. Let's hear what he had to say as well. We've talked a lot about the physicality. I mean, how how hard is it? Like, I'm, I watch OG getting thrown down and knocked down. And Like, are you having to talk to guys all the time about just staying sane and, and not losing their minds over this stuff? Yeah, just kind of just picking yourself up off the floor, picking each other up off the floor, running yeah. back down and – um, one thing we've been trying to do is learn how to use it on the defensive end. So, you know, it's it's 
sometimes it feels uneven, but most times like we're getting away with something too. So I think it's just the way that it's going. But uh, I just, you know, we talked about it. I don't want to keep focusing on that. I think it could become a thing more than what it is. And you just got to adapt. We, we see what it is. Um, anytime there's rule changes or point of emphasis is usually super over dramatically enforced, you know what I mean? As they make their point early in the season and then things will balance itself. I, there's no way these are gonna keep going like this all year. It's bad, it's bad for basketball at this point. Um, so just gotta keep adjusting and adapting, understanding that um, there's there's changes being made and, and you just try to keep playing through it. Um, you're getting some uh, some good runs from the bench lately. What do, what do you make of it? What do you make of those guys? Those guys have been balling, man. Speed uh, was huge tonight. His spark, his defense, his energy. Um, Cam obviously is probably a starter, but you know has been coming off the bench. Um, Delano again was uh, steady, you know, and and gave us a boost of energy. Um, and and Chris is still trying to find it, you know, in terms of efficiency, but he's still always there as a spark plug to he can get you twenty on any given night. So. Um, it's going to be a total team effort. The way we've been playing is going to take 10 guys or however many guys are in the rotation to get it done. Um, we're spreading it around. We're not really leaning on too many guys to do it all themselves. So just trying to play team basketball. Speed's been in the league for a while. Does he surprise you at some of the things he pulled off tonight? No, I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, you know, I remember him at KU. Obviously, I was at Wichita State, so I, I followed uh, Kansas pretty closely. So I remember I saw the talent. Um, you see it in spurts. And um, again, one of those guys who has a lot of upside. So we just try to find ways to help him and um, allow him to be more consistent. Um, but he's he's that talented. He can do that on a nightly basis. 40 minutes tonight, 43 to a couple nights ago. I don't know how many last night. But you get used to this as an old man. These minutes are piling up early. 39-10. 39. Yeah, yeah. So easy, easy. But uh, it is, you know, we're trying to win the game. I think, um, you know, we're we're still figuring out the rotations and what they're going to be. Is there's uh, there's been uh, conversations around it this year, at least. Like we're trying different things, different right. sub patterns, so that I can live with that. It's not just blindly just throwing me out there. So there's going to be different games. It's going to call for different things, but we're still trying to find the right flow of, of what's best for the team. I have noticed that Nick's taking you out early in the first quarter instead of giving you that 12 or 14 minute run right after the bit. Does that help you save your body, save your mind, save suffer later in the game? Or what's the impact of that part? No, it sucks. It sucks. Uh, you know, I, I'm, it's different, right? Like, you yeah. know, you get, you, you find the flow, you find the rhythm. And again, just trying to be open-minded and, and sacrificing a little bit, like where we are, all in this together and we're trying to find different ways to, to get the minutes down. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Tonight was 39, um, some nights is 34, 35. So it's just a different flow of the game, but I'm definitely uh, struggling at times, you know, trying to find my flow, my rhythm, just just based on, you know, where I'm coming in and out of the game at. But we're, me and the coaching staff, we're all on the same page. Yeah, one thing Nick has talked about a couple times is pace and not so much number of shots, but more shot attempts than the other guy, that that's a determining factor in who wins and loses. I think tonight you got 93 shots up and it was a, it was a kind of a slow game. Yeah. You go out there trying to get those about a big number of shots. You had a hundred against the Pacers on Wednesday. Yeah. Just trying to get the ball up the floor, give yourself more opportunities, you know, especially if we're shooting good percentages, you just going off the PPP. And, uh, you know, we had, we shot 11 more times than them tonight and, and we still have 15 turnovers. So like, 
you know, again, the offensive rebounding has been huge for us. Yeah. Uh, if we can keep those turnovers down, get our assist numbers up, you know, we'll be in good shape. But, uh, yeah, that's something that coach stresses a lot is just having that pace to the game to to be in attack mode at all times. It's like the, that, that bench unit, you know, with, with Spee and, and, and Chris and, and Kem and Delano, it looks like they're, they're building a little bit of chemistry with them with amongst each other early in the season. Uh, like, obviously, it was, it was a little while ago now, but, like, when, when you were a part of that, like, you know, like the bench mob, like, how did you guys forge chemistry? And are you seeing something similar with, with that group? I, I know it's really early. Yeah, I think uh, you just build that in the summer. These guys have been working their butts off all summer, all fall. Um, you take that in the training camp and you build a chemistry there and you just get close to each other. Our team chemistry is, is building. Our trust is building as a total unit. And um, and then you just got to bond. You know what I mean? Bench guys have to bond together. That's a special thing um, as guys who coming into the game. Um, and we have a lot of talent. I think you just look at the, the I'm looking at the minutes here. You know, Ken played 28, Chris played 18, Delano 16, Speed 21. Like, you got to earn that, obviously, but just being out there and, and earning that trust from coach to, to let the bench go a little bit, they'll continue to build uh, a more trust within each other and, you know, with the with the team. And uh, you guys are about to, to enter a stretch where you're going to be on the road a, a bunch here. Uh, so, uh, so like, like it's, it's happening, like, like it's a stronger bench unit, a more cohesive bench unit that's developing right now. But how, how does that help you guys moving forward? Yeah, I think that can that can win you some games, keep you in like keep you in the ones that that you're not playing well. Like last night, you know, uh, me and OG kind of struggled a little bit. The other guys held us down until the late, you know, fourth quarter. You need those other pieces. It's a lot of uh, uh, contributions that it takes to to win games at a consistent level. So every night's going to be different, but. Um, I mean, these guys, you know, we got a lot of youth and uh, and experience, and it's fun and it's stressful at times. But like, I don't even know what to say most of the time. So, uh, you know, we just go out there, we're playing, we're having fun, and we got to continue to try to learn while winning. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that mid-range step back. I know you worked on it a lot over the summer. It seems like you've been going to it a little bit more. Your efficiency is way up on it. Um, how much do you find that that's opening things up for you offensively, especially on nights when the three isn't falling? Yeah, I mean, it's just a shot that I can get whatever I want. You know what I mean? It's something that I can go to um, when I need to get one up. You know, the tough part is still trying to run the flow of the offense and just trying to execute the way things that coach wants it done. Um, and I haven't really been playing a lot of one-on-one. I've kind of been trying to play within the flow because I think it makes us a better team if we share it a little bit. But there's times when I'm going to have to get my own shot, you know, like we saw last night in the fourth, just get into that pull-up. Um, it's a shot that's open on most nights. So um, something I've paid a lot of attention to over the last few years working on that. Um, it's something that I'll continue to work on and, and try to develop and get better at. Um, and just find a better balance, you know what I mean? I'm not going to keep having to take all these falls all the time. Tonight, I tried my luck a little bit in the paint, didn't go my way, um, but definitely get to the pull-up and, and give myself a chance because, I, you know, uh, I consider myself a pretty good shooter. That is Fred Van Vliet speaking to the media following again last night's Raptors win over the Pacers, a 97-94 final the Raptors' third straight win. And again, they won uh, two straight as well. Se- second night on the back-to-back. So both uh, Friday, Saturday, the Raptors winning. We'll continue the Raptors conversation in a couple of minutes with Javon Shepard, basketball analyst for CBC Sports. But uh, I do want to get back to the text line, of course. Um, I wonder what the Raptors' favorite Halloween candies would be. If you had to ask them, like, I wonder, I wonder, you know, all these super high-performance athletes are uh, are guys who 
probably don't eat a ton of sweets, I would imagine. But I mean, hey, I'm sure everyone has has a sweet tooth or, you know, could could have a sweet tooth or whatever. So I am curious what the Raptors uh, Halloween candy of choice would be. But I am curious what your Halloween candy of choice is, your favorite and least favorite Halloween candy. You can text us at 590-590. We'll have a draw for a gift card for everyone who texts in uh, at the end of the show. Um, I see Peter in Sunderland says best Halloween candy is Kit Kat bar or Reese's peanut butter cups worst those orange wrapped toffee things you know i'm not exactly sure what those are myself i can picture them in my mind's eye peter but i i freely admit i'm not a huge fan of toffee myself like anything toffee i would you know it's a skip for me i'm not a big toffee guy uh i see here someone did text in no name or location on this one so please uh send it in so i can give you a shout out but someone just says i personally love candy corn so that's one thing for uh for one let's do one person one vote in favor of candy corn uh ian and fergus always appreciate you texting in ian he says apparently there's a new poll out and only 10 percent of americans like to eat their candy corn from the yellow end the other 90 percent throw it in the garbage probably holds for canadians as well yeah you know what like probably true probably in all honesty probably true um i see uh giles or or giles or giles i apologize if i'm butchering your name um, but hey guys, happy Halloween. My favorite thing is Wonder Bar and worst, sour gummies. You know what? I I've never really been a huge sour, sour anything fan, like sour patch kids, sour gummies, like uh, the things that really make your mouth pucker. I've, I've never been a huge fan of those things, but I, I do really appreciate uh, people texting in again, your favorite Halloween candy and your least favorite Halloween candy as well. Uh, PJ just texting in to say best Halloween candy Reese's pieces agreed worse is anything healthy. I remember getting apples and once broccoli, not cool. Thanks PJ. Uh, yeah, broccoli. I mean, I, you know what? I can see apples. I've gotten apples before and we can have the conversation about caramel apples, but yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Is that a, is that a head of broccoli PJ or just one broccoli, uh, floor it let's say I, 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 how much broccoli are these people giving away uh that, that's a agree, agreed though not cool that's from pj but again yeah your favorite and least favorite halloween candy you can text us at 590 590 uh you're listening to sportsnet today i'm show ali straight ahead as i mentioned javon shepherd basketball analyst from cbc sports will join us we'll chat about the raptors winning three straight games and of course the play of young rookie phenom Scotty Barnes. That's straight ahead on Sportsnet today. I'm Show Ali. We'll be right back across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali with you here until 4 p.m. Eastern as we uh, celebrate a very happy Halloween. Again, we're asking you guys on the text line, what is your favorite and least favorite Halloween candy? And uh, for everyone who texts in, you'll be entered into a draw to win a, a little uh, a little modest gift card for uh, your dining pleasure, let's say. Uh, but uh, again, appreciate all the text so far. We'll uh, get in touch with Javon Shepard, basketball analyst from CBC Sports, in just a minute or two. Um, but I did want to give a couple of updates here on, of course, week eight in the NFL. The uh, Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins, three and three, t- tied at three, I should say, right now. Of course, the Bills are just, I think they're just one game out of the top spot in the AFC, or like a half game, because the, they were a full game behind 
the Ravens last week. And, of course, the Ravens lost, but the Bills were off last week thanks to the bye. So, uh, of course, we'll be keeping an eye on that one here in the city of Toronto. Again, Buffalo and Miami tied at three with about three minutes to go in the first half. Uh, again, if you're following the Eagles-Lions game, no uh, no Kenneth Gainwell so far in that one, but the Eagles still do lead 10 nothing. Uh, so far, Boston Scott has 55 yards rushing and a touchdown. If you are following along for fantasy football purposes like I am, uh, but we'll check in a little later on on the NFL as well. Brendan Deeg will join us to wrap things up at 3.30. Right now, however, as I mentioned, very pleased to catch up with Javon Shefford, uh, North Court's host for CBC, basketball analyst host for CBC as well. Javon, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, Sunday afternoon. And of course, Raptors three in a row, winning three in a row, win 97, 94 over the Pacers in Indiana on the second night of a back-to-back last night. And I got to say for a young team to, and I mean, it was an ugly game from beginning to end. Um, you know, a lot of guys on both teams were just completely gassed by the end. Totally understandable on the second night of a back-to-back, like I said, but at the same time, this is a really impressive effort and a good coaching job by Nick nurse, Nick nurse, pardon me for this uh, young team to gut out a win like that again on, on such short notice. Uh, and you know what, when you look at this win, it's big for many reasons. One is it's a back-to-back, but I think, this this young group is learning how to win different games. You've seen them back-to-back nights lose leads, but then come out, pull out the victory. And in that winning, you're still getting, if you're looking at the end of the game, end of the, these, these games, you're, you're seeing two rookies on the court. You're seeing Delano. You're seeing Scotty on the court. And they're able to develop and become winners through this process as, as well. And, you know, we, we can't forget, we don't have our star yet, right? So, um, you know, still waiting for him to come and take, you know, get into the mix of things and to fold of things. And, and that's, that's something to be excited about with this group because you're just seeing them grow, right? Like, and, and I think this is a completely different brand of basketball that we've seen in the past, right? Usually we, we've seen this team, you know, run up and down and shoot three, shoot a three-pointer. And now we're seeing, you know, 65% of their offense is coming from, the, from two points. And that's a completely different style that we've seen in, in, in years previous. And I, I think that length, uh, that we've talked about, we, I think we've heard that over and over again from the beginning of the season, is starting to materialize and starting to take place in that this is, you know, a top seven defensive rated team in the league and then second in steel. So we're starting to see we're starting to see it shape and just waiting for them to continue and grow. Chatting with Javon Shepard here, basketball analyst for CBC Sports. Um, you know, I, we, of course, we got to talk about Scotty Barnes, Javon. I mean, he has just been so much fun to watch this season from beginning to end. I think exceeding a lot of the expectations that had been set upon him. And, you know, when it comes to when it comes to uh, Barnes specifically, we'll have to monitor that injured thumb that he suffered right at the end of the game. Sounds like he's going to be fine, but, you know, that we'll have to see what the Raptors, in terms of a precautionary sense, do with him. But, you know, one thing about Barnes that I really love to watch is that he is I've used the word relentless when it comes to Scotty Barnes and he just goes into the paint over and over and over again constantly getting his own rebounds putting his shoulders like we saw last night into guys like Miles Turner I mean all all nine of his baskets last night I believe were in the paint it's just that's really encouraging to see from such a young player already absolutely and I think you know this started from on draft day for me uh, the excitement that he had just to just to be in the NBA, wasn't worried about what city, wasn't worried about, you know, being in a different country. It was, I'm here, I'm ready, and I want to I hone my craft. And I think we're seeing it, right? Like, he's out there, and, you know, right now he's playing the best basketball on this team. Uh, and I think his impact goes far beyond points. It goes far beyond, beyond assists. 
is that he has that infectious personality that that you can feel throughout the team and just energizes the group. So I, I'm excited. I'm extremely excited about him because if you even if you think back to when he was in college, he's only started seven seven games in college. So he has a, a world of growth ahead of him before he's really coming to the player that he's going to be. And one of the biggest gaps, the biggest holes in his game is his three point shooting that everybody talks about. But guess what? You know, Scotty is already in the paint, scoring at will, defying odds. They're exceeding expectations in terms of how he's scoring the basketball. Three-point shooting at the NBA level is just knowing what shots are going to be your shots, where they're going to come. As he continues to learn the NBA game and gets the reps up in the places that he needs to shoot the basketball from three, he's going to be just fine. Like There's, there's not a lot of guys in the NBA that are shooting you know, a, a plethora of different types of shots. So if he's able to identify his two-point shot, get better there, and continue to do what he does in the mid-range, he's going to be a heck of a player for the Raptors. Leonard Hamilton, who was uh, Scotty's FSU head uh, head coach, uh, just when he was a uh, you know certainly just last season, um, he had a lot of those similar things to say that he believes that you know Scotty's always the I know it's a bit of a cliche, but like you know first guy in, last guy out type stuff. But it, it, he's really excited for his fit with the Toronto Raptors specifically, and I think a lot of fans are really excited about Scotty Barnes as well. You know, Javon, if if this continues to keep up, right? If this uh, if Barnes continues to impress. Do we think legitimately he will be in the rookie of the year conversation? Like I know we haven't seen too much from Kate Cunningham because of injury and maybe that'll change Still a young season so far, maybe Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs continue to impress and, and green as well. Right. I'm sure we'll have all those guys will be in the conversation by the end of the year. But right now I don't think it's like that out of, out of the realm of possibility that if Barnes does stay healthy and keep this up rookie of the year, it will be in his future. And I mean, he's, I would, I dare I say he's going to be almost for sure in that rising stars competition at the all-star game at the very least so i don't say if i'm going to say he is in that conversation because you look at small sample size right now he's leading all rookies in points and rebounds but what's impressive to me if you're looking at those top five lottery picks he's the only one and again small sample size he's the only one with a winning record right now and i think along with putting up numbers along with his, his personality he's winning right and that says that says a lot says more than anything at this level and it's just who can really impact their team? And again, you still don't have Pascal in the mix, and you have to measure what he's been able to do without, for this team without Pascal in the mix. So I, I think he's definitely not only in the conversation, um, but he, he, he could be the one, if you're asking me. Yeah, he has been. It's just been so much fun to watch uh, when it comes to Scotty Barnes this year. As a chat with Javon Shepard, a basketball analyst, for CBC sports. All right. I do want to ask you about some of these other guys as well. I mean, as much as I'd love to talk with you for like 15 minutes about, about Scotty Barnes. Um, I, I do want to ask you about Fred Van Vliet. We heard some of the audio from him after last night's win over the Pacers. What part of Fred's game do you think year over year has matured the most? You'd say, I think Fred's been in an interesting situation because year after year, he's been in, in different, he's been in, he's had to play different styles of game. Um, you know, playing with Kyle, he had to he's coming off the bench, uh, you know, off the ball. Now, now he's playing a position where he's not only on the ball, but the team's playing a completely different brand of basketball, and he has to be the leader for that. So, I think it's 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 great, and I think you're fortunate you have the luxury of having a guy like that that has the maturity that he does to adapt. Um, coming from a Wichita State program as well, where he was a leader there, and and innately, is a, I, I think we forget that too. He's innately a winner, so he does what needs to be done, and I think you know, where he is this year, it's, it's great for him because he's going to continue to grow. 
Um, he's going to continue to lead this team. And he's been the one that's been the most vocal, even before these guys got to training camp when they had workouts in L.A., chewing guys out and telling them, we can't win like this. And we heard him speak up, uh, it, well, we can't win if guys aren't working hard. And I think after, I believe it was the first game when they got, you know, annihilated in, in that first, that opening match, he had said, look, these, these, I'm, I'm happy for this because I've been trying to tell the young guys that this is, this is the NBA, this is how it is. Preseason doesn't matter, but when, once that regular season starts, you tip up that basketball, it's a whole different game. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see his growth at different levels, uh, but he's one thing he is is always leads and always a winner, So, and that trumps everything. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet has been so much fun to watch this year as well because, like you said, he has adapted to the, uh, of course, the absence of Kyle Lowry, and uh, he has, he has, of course, I think he's always been a quiet sort of leader. But you see him, you know, after games, hyping up the rest of the team, you know, guys during the game, commanding, commanding things on the fly very easily. I do, I do very much like watching Fred's, uh, not just his game, I guess, but just the way he is with the rest of the Raptors, which is pretty cool to see, um, especially for such a young team, right? I mean, I just I, that kind of stuff, I feel like like is is goes a little underrated right i mean you see a departure of a, of a beloved vet like kyle lowry certainly for fans but sometimes the uh the effect that can have someone leaving like that can have a, a, a perhaps unforeseen effect on the locker room so for fred to come up and step up like that and i think we all all hoped and expected he would but to actually see it again for this team that is so incredibly young that like you said is without pascal siakam right now is, is very encouraging i would say it, it is and i, I again I, i've heard Fred said himself that, and I think it goes, you know, we, we often overlook it, how much of, well, for one, Kyle called, has been calling Fred for more advice and Fred has been calling Kyle. So the, even though he wasn't necessarily the most outspoken before, you could see that he has an impact amongst guys and just has that presence that, you know, guys lean on, come to and, and speak with, right? So he's, um, it's good to see, and I think with this young group, it's so important because they also have a young group of guys that all facilitate the basketball. You look at Delano, you look at um, OG, you look at, at uh, all these young guys for that matter that are, that are really coming to their own, um, and he can help them with that, right? Like, he's been to the bottom of the bottom. He's come up in G League ranks. He's come up and, and played minimal minutes and had to be efficient and impactful and grown into the star that he is. Now you have a number of guys on the team that have similar situations, um, and that can give he can give advice from both aspects, all aspects rather. And I think that's huge more than anything because he's walked the walk. I do want to ask you as well about another guy whose growth I think we've all been really interested to see. You know how it would go this year. Certainly in OG Ananobi and. He has been one of the, you know, the featured players on offense for the Raptors so far. We all know what his defense can be, and it is absolutely stifling. Um, I like what I've seen, even if he's trying to be more consistent. But I am curious, like, what do you think Pascal Siakam's return in the hopefully relatively near future will do for OG when it comes to perhaps spacing on the floor and what he can do, you know, on offense? Well, now you have one more offensive threat, you know, a 20-point score, 20-a-night score that can slash the basketball can create, can hit shots, can facilitate. So, yeah, now the defense has to really play a bit more honest. Right now they can focus on OG. But you bring back Pascal into the, into the equation, you have to play more, more honest, you have to focus on him. Now Fred, Fred's in the equation as well. And I think those are going to be the primary guys that you're going to have to pay attention to, that their opponents are going to have to pay attention to, because one, the ball's going to be in, in Fred's hands a lot to create, come off of ball screens and, and look for guys and, and score as well. But then Pascal, he's your primary option, right? And, and you know, OJ's playing well, but it is still Pascal's team. 
Um, and that's going to alleviate some of the pressures on OG. So now he can be that third piece to really just continue to roam the court, get open shots, smash the basket, and do all the things that he does well. What I've been actually been impressed with is, you know, these last two games, OG's been the one, you know, in Orlando, he didn't, against Orlando, excuse me, didn't shoot the basketball well early, but you know what he did? He's the one. He had two corner threes to really open up the game in the fourth. And again, you've seen him and Freddie step up uh, last night uh, as well against Indiana. So you're two veterans, you're two experienced guys that have seen um, a lot so far, have stepped up in, in the clutch. So, and I think that, that's big for this team because then you're adding, you're, you're adding another experience, another talented piece into the mix when Pascal gets back from injury. You know, Javon, what do you think the optimal defensive lineup will look like when Pascal is back? See, now you're putting my GM hat on. Wow. <laughs> uh, the optimal defensive lineup, I, it, that's going to be tough because um, Gary Trent Jr. is really, th- you know, throwing a wrench in there just being so p- a pesky defender that, that he is. Um, but I, I think you would, you would obviously have to go OG, Pascal, um, Scotty, Precious and 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 Fred up front, right? Like so, it's but you can the luxury with this team, you can throw four, five, six guys into that mix, and I think that's just been the DNA of this team, and you're starting to see it. So you know, I think that's going to be a question of who wants it more, who's going to rebound more on that given night, and it's great because again, like I mentioned earlier, top two in steals in the league and top seven defensive. Uh, rating, and you still don't have Pascal in the mix. That you get better as defensively when he comes into the fold. So, uh, a lot of growth, and again, that's huge for the young guys to see because you don't get on the court by scoring offense with this team. You get on the court by being pesky, getting deflections, getting rebounds, uh, and creating offense from defense. Chatting with Javon Shepard, uh, basketball analyst for CBC Sports, and of course, as he mentions, the GM of the Ottawa Blackjacks. I do want to ask you uh, as well, Javon. You know, one guy. We didn't play the audio from him, but I, I am curious. He's been someone who is, has really interested me so far this season is Svi, and I always f- fear that I'm mispronouncing his last name, but Svi Mihailuk, I, be- I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, what, what have you made of his contributions to the lineup? Because we heard from Nick Nurse earlier, and he basically said, yeah, we're, like, we're, we're going to run him until the wheels come off sometimes, and, and he played a lot. He's, or he's been playing more and more as the season continues. I'm just curious what you see in his game that you really like. Well, as as um, Scotty likes to call him, CG Mahaluk, um, <laughs> because he, he's wet from three. I think he's great, man. Like he he came off of a, a really good preseason where he just has that poise when he plays basketball. He goes out, he plays hard, and you know one thing that he does, and even you know, Gary Trent Jr. does, is those guys can knock down shots from the perimeter, right? Probably at a higher clip than than you know the other guys, other perimeter guys that you have on the squad. So it gives them a specialty with this unit, right? And again. With them, with teams focusing on OG, with teams focusing on Pascal and and, um, and Freddie, it allows those guys to spot up on the three point line, especially on the weak side, and just get kickouts. And you know, at that point, these not only these guys, specialty guys, but they're pros and they're getting paid to knock those shots down. They continue to do that. They open up things for this 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 Raptors team, right? And then that offense becomes a bit more fluid. And and again, you don't have that dominant lumbering post presence. So those guys are even more important to the, to the offensive side of this team because teams focus on, on your, on your stars, on your studs, on your big wings. And then these guys weak side and, and are knocking down shots and slashing to the basket. So they have big value on, on this, on this squad. 
Yeah, it'll be really fascinating to see how, how Mihailuk's uh, role grows, especially like we were talking about before, whenever Pascal comes back, it'll be really interesting to see what the rotation looks like. Um, Javon, before I let you go, I do want to ask, uh, what do you think happens with Goran Dragic this season? Like, is he a... Is he a buyout candidate, or does he get traded? Like, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, I'd be shocked if he was still a Raptor at the end of the season. You know what? Basketball, it, it's it, it's runs, right? The game is in runs, and your opportunities and your your time on the court is in runs. And I think there there's going to be a time for him as well, right? Like, it's just the Raptors are starting to play well. They went gone with some different, some younger legs, um, and they they pulled out a couple wins. So him being a vet, I think he understands this. He's had success at different levels. You come in and you, when your opportunity presents itself again, you just do what needs to be done uh, in order to help the team win. And I, I think what's lost on us sometimes is the impact that a guy like that, a veteran like that, can have on, on the bench. Even though he's not playing many minutes, he's in guys' ears, right? Telling them where they need to be or, or talking to them and communicating with them. 36, 35 years old, he's seen it. Um, he's, seen, he's seen a lot at the international level. He's seen a lot at the NBA level. So uh, though he's not playing as much minutes as one would imagine, you know, there's still a lot of value with him just having that presence, um, being even an elder statesman to talk to, to Freddie, right? Like there's, there's a lot of value there and we're, we're going to see it. We're going to see him back on the court. Um, I think he will be here longer than, than some would imagine because this team is rolling right now. Chatting with Javon Shepard, basketball analyst for CBC Sports and general manager of the Ottawa Blackjacks. Javon, I appreciate you taking some time on a Sunday afternoon to join us here at Chaps and Raptors. Enjoy the rest of the season, and I look forward to chatting with you again, my friend. Absolutely. Anytime. All right, there he goes. Javon Shepard, again, from CBC Sports and, of course, the Ottawa Blackjacks. Uh, Javon also does uh, some really good work with uh, Vivek Jacob on uh, North Courts, which is, I believe, a uh, kind of a YouTube series they do for Canadian basketball on uh, CBC's YouTube page, which is kind of cool. So they, have, they do some good work. Um, straight ahead, we'll, we'll chat with uh, Greg Wyshynski. We'll, we'll shift our focus to the NHL. We'll chat with him about the, uh, the Blackhawks investigation, certainly as well, then take a spin around the rest of the NHL. But, but yeah, the Raptors are just absolutely so much fun to watch. It's funny, right? Like I, I, I would, you guys know, I'm, I'm a little biased when it comes to the Toronto sports and that I would probably say if there is, if there is some, if there is a team that could be labeled, the most quote unquote exciting team in Toronto, I would probably label the Blue Jays that, right? That's where I, that's probably where I'd go because they are squarely within contention uh, for a World Series, I would say, right? 91 wins, and despite playing the majority of the season outside of uh, the Rogers Center and outside of Canada, just generally speaking, right? You know, three home openers, including in Dunedin and Buffalo, where the fans were like, you know, Rays fans would invade Dunedin and Red Sox and Yankees fans would invade uh, Salem Field. So if, if I'm making the most exciting team, I'm probably going with the Blue Jays because I'm horribly biased, right? You guys know that. But if there is a second most exciting team, I understand like Toronto will probably always be a Leafs town. But I don't know. I don't know if it's because of the way, like the general disconnect between Leafs fans and the team. And again, the team did look a lot better against the likes of the Blackhawks and Red Wings. I think that we'll see how that translates. I think their next game is on Tuesday against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, who of course are, are, are a pretty good team, I would say. So we'll see what the uh, Leaf season looks like. But I, it's funny to think that a team that a lot of people maybe said would be in the play-in tournament with the, for the Toronto Raptors or maybe you've missed the playoffs entirely, and hey, young season, that could still absolutely be the case, especially if Scotty Barnes does end up missing time before Pascal comes back. I mean, that could still be the case if the Raptors miss the playoffs, but it is their core is so exciting to watch. It, it is It makes you feel... 
a certain type of way about this team, maybe because 2019, the championship season, not only was it not actually all that long ago, but because of the pandemic and, you know, two, two championships awarded since then, you know, I don't know, probably put some asterisks on those two championships. Let's, let's be real. Sorry, Los Angeles. Sorry, you know, sorry, Milwaukee. Sorry, getting an asterisk on those ones. Last legitimate championship, if we're being real, is the Toronto Raptors. And maybe because of the way everything has gone since then, Kawhi, of course, leaving the year immediately afterwards and then not even getting to play in Los Angeles anyways and then having the injury. So I, I don't know how many games Kawhi has played as a Clipper. I can't imagine it's that many. And then, of course, uh, last year and, Co and now Kyle Lowry leaving for this. It just finally feels like the Raptors only two scant years later are resetting themselves. And they're already like they, they spent one year in the top of the lottery and they get a guy like Scotty Barnes to bear with Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. I think that's really exciting. And I think that will continue to be exciting the entire season. My my prediction before this season, if you guys remember, we had Iman Adon on from uh, the Dishes and Dimes podcast and Iman um, who, of course, you know, I, I think she really wants to see this happen. But she said on this program, she said that uh, the Raptors would be the sixth seed and would play the three-seeded Miami Heat in the first round. I mean, look, that is still well within the realm of possibility. I hope we get a situation where the Raptors manage to completely avoid the play-in round, even if they do end up being like the seventh seed or like like Amon said, the sixth seed. I would be completely for that because that would be a lot of fun. Um, even though I would like to see the Raptors in the play-in round uh, now that I think about it, but having them just take a seed all to themselves and going to the playoffs and potentially be good enough to upset someone in a seven-game series, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm all for that, and I think a lot of you guys are too. So... Uh, but I appreciate Javon coming on to chat some Toronto Raptors with us. Uh, again, coming up next, Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer for ESPN. We will chat with him, of course, about the Blackhawks investigation. Uh, you know, names being taken off the Stanley Cup for only the second time ever. And then we will uh, take a spin around the rest of the NHL as well. But I'm Show Ali. Uh, I want you to text us as well, 59590, your favorite and least favorite Halloween candy. We will read those texts uh, following Greg Wyshynski right after this. You're listening to Sportsnet Today across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Psycho killer. Yeah, Psycho Killer, while we welcome you back to Sportsnet Today across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali with you for another 90 minutes. Taking your text at 590-590 about the best and worst Halloween candy on this All Hallows Eve. Got some good ones on the text line as well. We will chat with Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer for ESPN in a couple of minutes. I do want to read some more of your texts. Um, let's let's get through a couple real quick here. I see uh, best Halloween candy, M&Ms or Snickers. Sure, I, I do uh, like me both of those. Worst has to be them craft caramels. Yeah, fair enough. I, I'm not a huge fan of craft caramels. Uh, Sammy in Mississauga, best candy, Three Musketeers. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't think I've ever had a Three Musketeers. Now that I think about it, like I, every time I've ever seen one of those, like the little ones in the in trick-or-treat bags when I was younger or the full-size one. I don't think I've ever had Three Musketeers, so I'm going to have to try that one, Sammy. Um, Sammy also says, worst, any toffees? Agreed. Uh, Steve in Stouffville, best Skittles. Skittles are always uh, some good ones as well. Worst, Cherry Blossom. Now, Steve, 
I'm not actually sure what a cherry blossom is. I don't know if you or anyone else can help me out with that. So if you want to text back in and let me know what a cherry blossom is, I will full I will freely read that one out. Uh, Luke and Caledon always appreciate you texting in, pal. Luke says favorite Halloween candy are whoever gave out the full sized candy bars. Yes, those are uh, always always makes you feel like you're getting like the best bang for your buck whenever it comes to the uh, various Halloween candies. And I see a Chris from uh, Pefferlaw favorite Rockets least any sour gummy. Yeah, so another uh, another sour gummy. The Andrew Holland, our, our technical director, is shaking his head when when he says uh, when I said favorite Rockets. So he's not a, not a big Rockets fan. Rockets are terrible. They're bad. They're bad. You're not, not a fan of Rockets, eh? Not at all. <laughs> you know, I I gotta say I don't I don't hate them, but they're very low on. If, you, if, I'm, if we're doing like candy power rankings. Rockets are pretty low on the candy power rankings list. That, that I will agree with. Uh, but again, you're listening to Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet radio network. We'll get Greg Wyshynski on in a couple of minutes here. Um, a quick update on some of the NFL games going on right now. The uh, Jets are in tough against the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, this touchdown just got wiped off the board in New York, but the uh, Bengals, it, it was it is 17-7 to right now. Keelan Cole, who, if you guys remember, used to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Keelan Cole making just... One of the most absurd touchdown grabs I have ever seen in my entire life. Now, again, they waved it off. It's not a, it's not a touchdown. So uh, we'll have to, we'll continue monitoring there, but boy, that was uh, just an absolutely stunning grab uh, by the uh, new or by a stunning throw up by uh, Mike White and grab by Keelan Cole. And then as well, um, if you've ever wondered what it would look like, if you decided to go play an NFL game, if you have, if you've ever been curious Chris Boswell, who is the Pittsburgh Steelers kicker on fourth down, and I want to say like inside the uh, five-yard line, went out to throw a pass, like a trick play instead of a field goal. He threw a pass, got lit up on the play in what was probably a penalty. It was not penalized in the end, but either way, uh, if you've ever wondered what it would look like for a, a as close to a normal human being possible to play, like if I or you decided to go out there and, and throw a pass against an NFL defense, like a Miles Garrett-led NFL defense, that's probably what it would look like. That's probably as well, at the very least, as it would go for all the, all the people who think, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could stand there and throw an NFL pass. That's probably exactly what it would look like. And, of course, we uh, hope Chris Boswell is, is well going forward for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But um, like I mentioned, right now we will, uh, we will continue to talk some NFL a little later on in the program. We'll get some periodic updates here and there. And, of course, taking your texts on the best and worst Halloween candy across uh, the Sportsnet today. I'm Show Ali. Let's bring in Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer for ESPN. Uh, Greg, got to ask you off the bat here, best, worst Halloween candy. Anything come to mind on this, on this Halloween day? <laughs> well, you know, I, I've been, we bought a giant bag of it, right, for, for all the kids, right. you know, and then we ended up eating at least three quarters of it. Uh, I sort of became enamored with the hundred grand bar. I don't know if you have those up in Canada okay. or not, but uh, a very tasty candy here in the States. Uh, but worst is obviously candy corn. I mean, it's going to be. It's the most divisive of candies. Um, as I said to my colleague, John Buchigross, who was a big fan of them, they remind me of little teeth, which is kind of creepy. Uh, but yeah, can- candy corn by far is the, is the worst for me, at least. But uh, I know that uh, it does have its fans. Yeah, I think uh, someone had texted in to say there was some study out that like 90% of Americans throw away candy corn whenever they eat it. Like, and I, <laughs> I, you know what? I haven't seen that myself. And you never know, you know, never to 100% trust the text line. But at the same time, I 100% believe that. So <laughs> we'll, we'll have that's to. That's true. That, that, that's true. But I will say, though, that we, I just had this discussion with my wife the other day about like what was the, the lousiest thing to get in your bag when you went around. Right. And she mentioned raisins, and I think that's a pretty—I think it's a pretty good answer as far as like what's the worst thing to get in your bag would be raisins. When 
you know, you're angling for chocolate and sweets and caramel and all that stuff, and someone gives you, you know, the, the, the little the little maid on the front with the raisins. It's not good. Yeah, right. I mean, raisins are a good, healthy snack. I don't think anyone can argue against that. But on Halloween, you want something a little more exciting than raisins, raisins <laughs> exactly. in your trick-or-treat bag. All right, Greg, I do want to ask you, uh, certainly we got you on to talk some hockey, and I do want to ask you about the Leafs to start. Um, can we Can we at all take a breath when evaluating them now after a second straight win? Or maybe should we be wary after those two wins have come against teams like the Blackhawks and Red Wings, two of the worst teams in the NHL? Well, th- this was this was the panic button moment, right? Like I, I said this after um, their 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 previous loss two games ago, that if they didn't take four points out of these next two games, then I think you can appreciably press the panic button, and uh, they they did. So <laughs> I think I think if anything, uh, it, it sort of changes the conversation a little bit, uh, may- maybe builds a little bit of confidence. Obviously, some players that haven't been performing got on the board which is always good uh a little bit worried about them defensively still uh that, that was really their forte last season and i haven't quite seen that level of play uh that was really quietly their calling card last season this season quite yet um but uh but, you know at least the, the bleeding has stopped for a little bit and then we can kind of see if they reorganize and can get on a little roll here you know, one of the uh, big, big news, certainly news items on Friday that was, was big here in Toronto, at the very least, was the Morgan Riley extension. How is that viewed outside of the city? Because I never, to be completely honest, I'm never 100% sure how to uh, gauge a mega deal like that because I feel like the perspective <laughs> on the Leafs inside of the city is always at least like a little bit, a little bit skewed. Yeah, I mean, it's skewed in the sense that uh, th- there is no tomorrow. <laughs> like, yeah. I think I think the difference between a- us outside of Toronto and you guys in Toronto is that we can kind of see the big picture in the sense that Kyle Dubas is managing for what amounts to a, a three-season window, you know, which is the-, the duration of Austin Matthews' contract, right, before he hits UFA status. And then, you know, if they haven't won or anything, I think all bets could be off as far as what his future is going to be. But, I mean, you're managing for the next three years. And uh, you get you obviously have Riley for this one. Now you have him for the next two plus six after that. And let's face it, if, if after, you know, the next three years, uh, the, the Leafs are kind of in the same position that they're in, this is not going to be Kyle Dubas's problem, this contract, right? So I think the other thing too, is that this league has clearly gotten to a point where the eight year contract by no means is an eight year contract. It is, it is a contract that you give somebody for eight years in order to get the cap hit that you need for like two or three years. And, and that's how I saw the Riley contract. Like they had to get him in at a certain number, He's a known commodity. They don't have to go out and find someone to replace him. And even if they did, they weren't going to be able to find someone to replace him on a short-term contract for that cap hit. So uh, to me, it was the smartest decision they could make and, uh, and ultimately won't be Kyle Dubas's problem if things don't work out uh, in the first few years of that contract. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I think that's, that's uh, I think, going to be uh, something on the top of people's minds in the next, like, like you said, the next three seasons. Um, as we chat with Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer for ESPN. I do want to take a spin around the rest of the Atlantic, and I don't want to look at the Florida Panthers with you. 8-0-1 to start the season. Certainly, of course, without Joe Quenville going forward for good reason. Uh, Andrew Brunette is the interim head coach. Do you expect the players... You know, I know that an 8-0-1 start is not sustainable, obviously, but did, I mean, everyone expected the Panthers to take a little bit of a step forward, and they certainly seem like they have. Do you expect this to keep up to, to at least a certain degree going forward to the rest of the year? I do. I mean, the bottom line is that although I think Joel Quinville did a heck of a job kind of uncracking how that team should play and get the maximum out of their players, it was GM Bill Zito who constructed most of this roster that we're seeing now. I mean, the depth that you have at forward is courtesy of the acquisition of Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhardt. Um, the ability of this team all of a sudden to not have to play Jonathan Huberdeau with Sasha Barkoff at all times 
um, which used to be the norm, you know, in previous seasons, I think has really uh, helped them flesh out and balance their forward group. They've been good on the back end. Um, the <laughs> resurgence of Sergei Bobrovsky, I think, is something we, we didn't anticipate, <laughs> but obviously is a, a, uh, a positive development for them. And I think certainly helped by the presence of Spencer Knight. I don't think Sergei Bobrovsky was all that worried about Chris Dreger stealing his job yeah. as an older pending UFA. But with, with Knight there, obviously, I think he feels like the throne is being threatened. So all those things kind of come together to tell you that this team is going to be okay. Um, that being said, uh, you know, there's going to be some options, whether if, if the Panthers do hit a skid and, and they want to reach out and, and grab a new coach. I mean, obviously, my colleague Kevin Weeks mentioned that uh, my new best friend John Tortorella could be on the radar screen because uh, Bill Zito and, and Torts worked together in Columbus. Um, I've heard uh, some people mention that Tony Granato, who is the current men's head hockey coach with the University of Wisconsin, a very well-known name to NHL fans, uh, is a is a tight is pretty tight with Zito and could be on his radar too at some point for taking over that job. But uh, you know it was such a shock to the system with Quenville, um, and I think that if you're someone who's trying to see how the Panthers will react to this news, the way that they came back out of the gate um, was pretty pretty impressive considering all the turmoil off the ice, and especially when you compare it to how Chicago <laughs> you know uh, reacted to their turmoil off the ice. I do want to ask you, Greg, since we're since we kind of talking around it a little bit, the certainly the Blackhawks, uh, the the scandal, all the all the really awful things that were revealed in the report and hearing from Kyle Beach, which was really powerful. And, you know, as we're talking about how it pertains to Quenville and now he probably will, will uh, at least for not a long time, coach in the NF- NHL again and probably not ever. And same goes for Stan Bowman. I just I just I wonder, I mean, we, we talk about how the, the legs on this thing probably are going to continue. Right. I know we got we heard we got the statement from um, from Gary Bettman about Kevin Shevel day off. It's just I, I wonder if we just still haven't seen the end of this thing even though they're talking about removing the name from the stanley cup and all those kinds of things like it still feels like we're 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 so far out from the end of this thing it's probably going to be a while before anyone starts stops talking about it and for a good reason right because this kind of stuff it should has no place in the game of hockey and, and should never happen again no that's exactly right and i mean the other parts of this that i i think are still yet to be settled are one, what the winnipeg community reaction to shovel day off is i mean you know he's going to speak along with owner Mark Chipman on, uh, on Monday, I guess, to, you know, move this along and, and see where it is. Uh, I think the other thing is the, the lawsuits that are still going to be in motion against the Blackhawks from Kyle Beach. The Blackhawks clearly would like to settle those and, and not have it uh, be uh, taken to court where all of a sudden there's subpoena power to maybe compel people who didn't participate in the investigation to participate. They want to kind of put this thing to bed as quickly as they can. But the biggest thing, might be the NHLPA, um, which is going to have a meeting on Monday with its senior leadership, its executive uh, uh, council. That's uh, representatives from all 32 teams. Uh, Don Fear is going to speak to them uh, and, and, and kind of, I guess, explain how things went down and, and how this, uh, this when Beach came to the NHLPA for help and others mentioned to the PA that they were in, you know, in need of help, that nothing really came of it. And I spoke to an NHL veteran player yesterday who told me, you know, the play, he said the boys are pissed is the way he put it at the way that the NHLPA handled the Kyle Beach situation. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this and, uh, and whether uh, Don Fear can, can survive this. I mean, we've seen, already seen so many resignations, right, in this situation. And, and one wonders if it, there's going to be another one and a pretty prominent one at that. And, you know, one one player who was asked about this last week was uh, Jonathan Taves. I think it was actually following the Leafs Blackhawks game, and he was he was asked about it um, immediately following the game in his in his media availability. And he kind of like he kind of deflected to the point where I was actually genuinely surprised at what Taves has said, if only because 
I think Taves specifically, not only to people who follow the Blackhawks, but even people who follow like Team Canada, for example, considering he's a, a staple for for Hockey Canada, it just. I think people were surprised considering Taves has long been considered even just within hockey, like almost like a, I don't know what the right word is, like a moral center or just being for, for being super forthright. And the way he kind of said, oh, well, you know, I, I have nothing to say about uh, Stan Bowman and so on because he, you know, they made the Blackhawks a good place to play. I was genuinely surprised by that because of what Taves has, I guess, come to, I guess, for lack of a better word, stand for over the course of his career. No, absolutely. And, you know, I was talking to another player yesterday about that very thing and, and how the reaction from Taves and Kane and, and it was a little bit less than what you'd want considering the gravity of the situation. And, and this player said, look, I mean, you have to remember that, you know, Stan Bowman at one point, you know, Kane lived with him. <laughs> I mean, you know, and Jonathan Taves, he, he's been a father figure to this guy for the, over a decade. You know, they won cups together, signed contracts together, the whole thing. It doesn't excuse saying that somebody who clearly was culpable in this situation and complicit uh, wasn't and, and kind of going and defending them in a public forum. But you can understand why they feel the way they feel. I mean, it's kind of like if you have a really good friend who gets in trouble, your first inclination is to defend them before maybe, maybe taking a step back and surveying the situation, understanding that that's, that's not what you should do because, because uh, they did a very bad thing. And so the, the initial reaction from Taves, like you said, usually is a guy with his head screwed on straight. Maybe he just needs a little bit of time and distance from, uh, from Bowman having to leave to understand Bowman's role in this, how wrong it was, and, and that it was the only thing to do was to have him depart the, the team in the way he did. Yeah, I think we'll, we're, like you said, the, this whole thing, players, their reactions to it, the NHLPA tomorrow, the reaction from the Winnipeg community, everything, this whole thing will continue to be a story, I think, for, for a long time to come, not even just this coming week. But uh, we're chatting with Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer from ESPN. Okay, Greg, I do want to I do want to continue asking you about some of these teams around the rest of the NHL. And one team I, I'm I'm constantly fascinated by, certainly by the because of their proximity to uh, to us here in Toronto, are the Buffalo Sabers. Is this real? Should we buy what we're seeing from the Buffalo Sabers? I'm not I'm not sure what to make of the Sabers. I refuse to say it's real. I, I feel like I've written the story for like three consecutive years of getting off to a, a start like this, and then. Yeah, I remember specifically talking to Jack Eichel, actually, uh, you know, back when he was still an active member of the team. And uh, the team was off to a good start. Ralph Kruger was the coach. He was feeling really good about life and saying to Jack, I'm like, is this real? You know, is this going to be the year? And he's like, I think it might be. And then, you know, by the end of uh, November, they were already in the basement. So I'll say this. I think that Don Grado has been playing really well. Um, I think that they have been the beneficiary of some really good goaltending, uh, which is what a guy like Craig Anderson can give you in fits and starts, but by no means is it sustainable. Um, but they're a hard out. I mean, at the very least, those of us who thought that they could be like Arizona East <laughs> as, far as, their, uh, as far as they're going into the tank or, or trying to reload or you know, trying to do whatever they can to replace Jack Eichel with Shane Wright next year, um, I think we were wrong. I think they're, they're going to be a team that's exhibiting a little bit more pride um, and uh, and and uh, Moxie that maybe we uh, we anticipated. Do you think Eichel gets traded before the end of next week? I do. I, I think from from what I was able to gather, and then obviously there's been other reports about you know, the talks that have gone deep with Vegas. From what I've been able to gather, that's that's accurate. Um, you know, I don't know when and where it's going to happen. I think there's a, obviously a lot of moving pieces to this, and so far as. Um, things like, you know, simple things. Well, I shouldn't say simple. I should say obvious things like the salary cap. <laughs> salary cap's not simple. Um, and, then, and then more complicated things like uh, the conditions that are going to be placed on some of the, um, uh, the things going back Buffalo's way insofar as Eichel's health and things like that. So it's a, 
it's a complicated process, a complicated thing, but I would say with some certainty that, that Vegas seems like they're in the driver's seat right now. Uh, Greg, before I let you go, I, I'll wrap up on this one. Uh, Carolina off, uh, off to another hot start. We talked about the Panthers. Uh, Carolina off to a 7-0-0 start. Who do you think deserves the most credit for the start there? Is it the forward depth, the goaltending, the coaching? Uh, where do you lean when it comes to the Hurricanes? Yeah, I think it's I mean, it's a combination of all things there, and I think that they've uh, maybe not suffered through the loss of Dougie Hamilton like many of us assume they would. I think uh, although he's not exactly Mr. Popularity, Tony D'Angelo has been okay in filling uh, some of that, that, that hole that was left by, by Dougie leaving. Um, but, I mean, for me, it's, it's more along the lines of, like, outside of Hamilton, there's been an amazing consistency year to year of the same players coming back and knowing the system and knowing what's demanded of Rod Brindamore and, and playing a certain style and meshing together. It's a, it's a really smart, analytically driven front office. And um, it's a really smart uh, uh, team that they put together there that, that just knows how to play together. Yeah, and I'll be fascinated to see how the Hurricanes uh, continue their run, if they do continue it. I believe the Hurricanes and Panthers are playing each other at some point this week. If, if It's either this week or next week, so I'm, I'll be very much looking forward to seeing that game. But chatting with Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer for ESPN. Greg, appreciate you hopping on with us. I also really enjoyed, just wanted to say, I really enjoyed you chatting with uh, Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show the other day. That was kind of a fun uh, MVS little reunion <laughs> recently. I know. It was a good throwback. We're definitely going to have to do it again at some point. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on with me today, and uh, we'll talk soon. You got it. Thanks. All right, there he goes. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Yeah, of course, if you're unfamiliar, uh, Greg and uh, Jeff used to host the uh, Merrick versus Wyshynski pod. And, I mean, I, guess it, it, it wasn't, I feel like it hasn't been that long since the MVS pod you know, went away just because of the, the different roles for both of these guys now, but... It is. Uh, that was a really fun podcast that I used to listen to. But of course, um, Jeff is doing the Jeff Merrick show and of course doing 32 Thoughts with Elliot Friedman, which you can catch anywhere you get your podcast. I want to say 32 Thoughts is like the number one sports podcast of any sport in the country. So uh, you know what? It's uh, it's always very good. Of course, Elliot and Jeff do a good job and Amal Delich does a fantastic job as the producer for that one as well. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the NHL these days, I... Boy, I just I wonder if that Panther start can be sustainable, right? I mean, like I, I guess, like I said to uh, to Greg, I guess if you start eight zero and one, that's probably never going to be sustainable. That's a winning percentage of nine forty four. No team is going to win a winning <laughs> finish a season an eighty two game season with a winning percentage of nine forty four. It's not going to happen, right? But at the same time, like he said, like Greg said, the the way this team is constructed with all the depth and with Barkov getting paid and playing like a, one of the best players in the NHL, it is, they're going to be a tough out. And I mean, the thing as, as it pertains to the Toronto Maple Leafs and we'll chat with Gord Stella coming up next at the top of the hour, continue the Maple Leafs conversation and certainly the conversation around hockey as well. But it just, you look at where the Leafs are in the standings, right? The Leafs are four, four and one. They have nine points. They sit at fifth in the Atlantic division behind Florida, Buffalo, Detroit, and Tampa Bay. Do any of us believe that Buffalo and Detroit will be second and third in the Atlantic Division in, well, certainly by the end of the season? Probably not. In a couple of months? Again, I think there's a big question mark. In a, in a couple of weeks? Also, possibly not, right? Again, I'm not trying to crap on the Sabres or the Red Wings, but at the same time, they are, while the, the rebuild maybe it's finally catching up, the uh, Iser plan, if we want to call it, right? We call it the Shanna plan here in Toronto. Maybe the uh, Iser plan in Detroit. Maybe it's finally starting to get going after a relatively slow start. 
And hey, if that's if that's the case, then you know what? Good for them. Good for Steve Eiserman. But at the same time, I, I don't believe much like Greg. I do not believe that what the Sabres have going on right now is real. But, you know, I don't want to dump on them. I think, you know, the Sabres have had a tough time for a lot, a lot of years. So I think if they can enjoy, if their fans can enjoy a 5-1-1 uh, and one start, 11 points, winning percentage of 786, then you take it. But again, I mean, it's a long season. It's, only, it's not even the end of October yet, right? So, I mean... It'll be the end of October in like a couple of hours. So, you know, you take what, you know, you understand what I'm saying here, but at the same time, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how the Atlantic shakes out. And if Florida does remain this good, or at least some version of it, then Toronto will be hard pressed to remain in a top spot with Tampa Bay. And we'll see what Boston ends up doing. They're only a point behind Toronto right now in this early season. I think we can probably agree Ottawa and Montreal will probably remain where they are, but at the same time, it will be, like I said, fascinating to see what the Toronto Maple Leafs can do with the Florida Panthers looking like they have been. Also, just say real quick, I've always thought, and I, I don't think this is a hot take or anything, but I've always thought that Alexander Barkov, and I mean, now, he, like I said, he is now getting paid like a top player, but I've always thought that if he played in a market like New York or Boston or certainly Toronto, gosh, if Alexander Barkov played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, he would be viewed as one of the best players, I think, in the entire NHL. I do think that is what he is, like one of the top 15 players in the NHL, top 20 players. But if he played for the Leafs, I think he would probably be viewed as such, right? Right now, I think he is viewed as maybe maybe not bad, but he's viewed as like a guy who people just don't really know a lot about because, you know, he's finished. He doesn't speak to the media a whole ton. It's going to be, I think it's going to be fascinating how Barkov can captain uh, the uh, Florida Panthers going forward because, again, he is just phenomenal to watch. Um, but again, we'll chat with Gord Stella, co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post game coming up in a couple of minutes. But again, I do want to get back to the text line. Uh, 590, 590, name and location as always. You can uh, always uh, text us for, you know, around anything you want, Leafs, Raptors, the NFL, anything you want, really. But again, I am asking you guys, what is your favorite and least favorite Halloween candy? And everyone who texts in will be entered into a draw for a, for a gift card. Um, but I do see here uh, some more um, happy Halloween, favorite ha Halloween candy is Kit Kat least favorite is candy corn. Another, another vote against candy corn. Uh, I see one here. Matt in Port Perry says Reese's pieces is King, but candy apple with cat fur has to be the worst I ever got. Yeah, I get, I mean, I guess it's like someone who owns a cat and they like, you know, caramel candy apple. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty gross. Actually. It's pretty funny though. Uh, I see one here, Mike and Pickering, uh, molasses kisses and candy corn are the worst. Some of the best, the chocolate cookie cookies and creams, chocolate, also the coffee crisp bar. Um, I see one here, uh, favorite Halloween candy wonder bars. You know, a lot of votes for wonder bars. I've never been like the biggest fan of wonder bars, but they're, they're like, I'm like, you know, they're kind of just there. They exist wonder bars. Right. But again, uh, a rare find least favorite candy, the candies that were individually wrapped in the orange and black plastic Halloween wrappers. There were three colors, white, orange, and a mocha color. They were like hard pieces of wax. I, you know what? I'm not sure what those are, but I do know what you're talking about. That's actually a pretty good description of that, of that kind of Halloween candy. And then I see here, uh, Mike from Toronto. Great show. Uh, appreciate you texting, Mike, texting in, Mike. Um, he says, the worst candy I received 
Um, I may be dating myself, but candy corn candies, even the soap gum was better. Yeah, you know what? I don't think you're dating yourself, Mike, because candy corn somehow in 2021 is still getting handed out. And if you are taking your kids out later, I know a lot of parents take their kids out, like relatively speaking, earlier on in the evening. So you can like relax and you can, you know, sit down, hand the candy out to some of the older kids who come around as well. So if you're doing that and you get candy corn... God help you. If you like candy corn, good for you. But I mean, so far of like the 50 plus texts we've gotten, I want to say we have only seen one in favor of candy corn. So that's probably uh, doesn't bode well. But again, hey, I'm sure you'll get a, bet a lot of other. Here's hoping for the full size candy bars. Let's put it that way. But again, you can text us at 590, 590, your favorite and least favorite Halloween candies this All Hallows Eve. I'm Show Ali. Coming up next, as I said, on Sportsnet today will be Gord Stellick, Leafs Nation pre and post game host. We will continue the hockey conversation. We'll chat with him. I want to get Gord's perspective as a former GM on the Morgan Riley contract extension and if it means maybe eventually, eventually, we might see one of the core four. Uh, out of Toronto, given the contract situation. But Gord is coming up next on Sportsnet today. I'm Show Ali. We'll be right back after these messages on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Sportsnet today across the Sportsnet radio network. Always got to let some Santana play a little bit whenever you get the chance, right? I feel like we don't play Santana enough. We get a lot of songs like us rejoins. We don't play enough Santana. As we welcome you back to Sportsnet today, show Ali across the Sportsnet radio network. One more hour to go here on the fan. Uh, we will be chatting with Gord Stellick in a couple of minutes time. He'll help us uh, continue discussing uh, the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the second straight win again over the Detroit Red Wings, who are just above them in the standings right now. But again, we'll see if that is uh, the truth or a bit of a mirage when it comes to the Atlantic Division standings. Um, I'm asking you guys, what is your favorite? What are your favorite and least favorite Halloween candies? Uh, again, you can text us at 590-590. Ron and Scarborough, favorite is Mars Bars. We're going to give some love to the Kears, Halloween Kisses. Uh, I do like those two. Worst is Rockets. I always gave those away. So there you go, Andrew. Another uh, vote against Rockets. Uh, Russ in Toronto says, um, oh, Russ in Toronto wants to know about uh, soup and uh, Ilya Mikheyev in terms of not not so much a soup like you eat, but uh, the Superman, let's say. Um, you know, well, we'll ask that question, Russ, to uh, Gord Stelic, but who goes at the end of the season? That is a tough question. Me thinks it might be Alexander Kerfoot at this point, but you never know. Uh, all the, the mathematics for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, you never know how it adds up, but again, uh, we will ask Gord that question. I'll ask it just for you, Russ. Um, Curtis from Bowmanville wants to know, uh, my favorite is Laffy Taffy. Haven't had that in a long time, but that is a good one. And at least by far is raisins. Why? That's Curtis from Bowmanville. Agreed. Again, like Greg said, I would say that raisins are, are perfectly fine on a normal day. You want a nice, healthy snack. That's like not going to kill you sugar wise or anything like that. Sure. Raisins are fine, but, uh, and Halloween raisins, is that what you really want? I don't know. 
So you know what? I uh, I, I will pass on the raisins. And then uh, Dan from the bridge says, Tootsie Roll, my favorite. Only really time I ever have it is Halloween. Rockets are the worst. Those white Popeye sticks are low-key underrated as well. Pure Halloween candy. Dan from the bridge. Uh, let's bring in Gord Stalick to this conversation. Leafs, Na- Leafs Nation pre- and post-game co-host. Gord, uh, before we talk any hockey, do you have any uh, favorite and least favorite Halloween candies? Oh, that crappy stuff, that black and orange stuff that uh, dentists used to give right. out because it pulled your fillings out, right? <laughs> right. And um, they, don't, they don't give that out anymore. But I do know, like, uh, when I was growing up, the Forbes family, he worked for Coca-Cola. So you'd go by and get, like, try to get two or three cans of Coke, but they would check out your <laughs> pillow sack, right? So that was a bit of a game that way. And like we said, I, I heard someone talk about the other day, if you, get the, if you get the bigger chocolate bars, you know, that always has more value than the smaller ones. Yes, absolutely. You know what? That anytime you get the full size chocolate bars instead of the really tiny ones, like from Costco or whatever, those are definitely you definitely feel like you're getting the best bang for your buck. But again, uh, chatting with Gord Stellick, Leafs Nation co-host, pre and post game. Okay, Gord, let's chat some Leafs. And I do want to ask you uh, first of all about the Morgan Riley deal, um, seven and a half million for the next eight years. And I, I, I said this before, but I expected whatever number Morgan Riley to get at the end of the season when I expected this contract extension to take place, but or, or whether he was a free agent or what have you, for Riley to get a, a number that starts with eight or maybe higher. So for him to, to go seven and a half, he clearly left some money on the table, I would say, right? Yeah, you know, and uh, the last guy that did that was Zach Hyman, right? That took the, the four-year contract with the Leafs and I think probably what fans, when they're reassessing things, is they've, they've looked at, and uh, I don't uh, knock guys for doing that, but, uh, you know, guys on the Leafs have gone for every dollar they can get, and, um, and that's kind of why they're a little hamstrung cap-wise. Connor McDavid, you could argue, left a little bit on the table as the number one player in the NHL. So in this case, you're right about Morgan Riley, that uh, look at Dougie Hamilton, look at defensemen in general. Like, they're getting paid. Yeah. They're getting the UFA money. When the cap went flat... It's the forwards like the Taylor Halls of the world that had to regroup and rethink what they was. But the elite elite defensemen, so there's no question, Morgan Riley, to me, yeah, took a little bit less for uh, a lot of reasons because he wanted to be here. And the big thing is this gets rid of the distraction. Like we're finding, and it started with Tavares with the New York Islanders, Panarin and Columbus, and, you know, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets decided they didn't want to go through that with Seth Jones and uh, traded him. And, you know, really, you really didn't want to see Morgan Riley basically leave like Freddie Anderson and Zach Hyman did, but it really looked like there was going to be no choice if he went for the big numbers. So I'm really glad about that number front. So I, I'm big on him. I think he's an outstanding leader. I mean, I'm fine with John Severus being the captain, but if he hadn't come over, I, Morgan Riley would have been my choice. Yeah, Captain Morgan, we would have been able to say that a lot more. But uh, <laughs> but but I do agree. Yes, I I, I am a, I do agree, uh, Gord, that I do I do like Morgan. Maybe even even eventually to uh, to get that spot if if John Tavares does leave eventually, because considering how much longer <laughs> Riley will be in a in a Maple Leafs uniform, at least for now. Um, I do want to ask you. Someone had texted in to say, how does the math work out for the contracts going forward? It's funny, right? It, understanding how the salary cap works out and, and, and you know, the mathematics of that seems to be as much a part of being a fan today as anything else. Um, and I think a lot of people do find it like genuinely interesting. But when it comes to the other long-term deals currently signed, certainly the core four, I just wondered, like, do you think it, this deal for Riley will eventually push those guys out? Or do you think at least at the end of this season, it'll be some of these shorter-term deals that get jettisoned, like perhaps Kerfoot's $3.5 million. Okay, so it's like your Visa, MasterCard, or Amex bill, and you're, you're up against it. So any commercial with a layaway plan, like buy this furniture, you don't start paying for 12 months, uh, you start buying it. 
So eventually, uh, eventually that credit limit kicks in. So right now, it's just kind of out there on the back burner, but it will be a reality when you start calculating for next season. Uh, Jack Campbell, all things being equal, would get some kind of race to see the le- say the least. So yeah, I mean, again, thinking it through, I mean, may- maybe there will be a little bit of a cap bump, maybe just enough of a cap bump to help the team this year, uh, like a-, a cap increase that uh, with you know full stadiums now, full arenas. But uh, the reality is, just like they had last summer, and that's why you wave goodbye to Zach Hyman. And uh, the Kerfoot situation is a good example. Um, you know, I, I really don't want to trade one of those big guns. I mean, but that would be something to be con- it's funny. Neilander's probably the best value contract now, but probably he would be the one. Uh, uh, and again, I have to revisit all the no trades and what have you. I don't think anyone has a full no trade, but uh, yeah, so that would be it down the road. But right now, um, the number Morgan Riley put out there is 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 in this world a, a reasonable number especially for that term you know gordon we're chatting with gord stelic here leaf nation pre and post game co-host i said this earlier on the program but i i dare say that of all the teams and again without looking at every single team's cap situation and we, we you and i watch the leafs more than we watch most other hockey teams but at the same time you know when you look at what the uh what the leafs ha- had going for them from a contract situation and the way the cap was probably projected to rise continually before the the world of COVID with COVID coming in and hitting the finances of every team in every sport, not just the NHL, but then of course within hockey, the cap staying flat. Do you think it's like, is it crazy of me to say that there is perhaps not many, if, if any other team that was affected um, by the flat cap more than the Toronto Maple Leafs? Oh, they're not alone. No, no, no. There's this is not a one-team wonder. I mean, the Vegas Golden Knights are a great example. There's a few more like that. There's there. I, I think the problem Maple Leaf fans have is every other example has had some kind of playoff success. Yeah. And and that's where you sit there and you kind of go, okay, you got to give me one or the other. Okay, you got to give me. We're hard against the cap, uh, but we made it to the third round of the playoffs. And I get that. I get that. There, you know, you look at teams like the Colorado Avalanche that had cap room and then it closes real quick. So this this is a re, uh, we've, you've already seen teams playing with one less player on the roster. You've already seen the Maple Leafs have to call up the University of Toronto goaltender, which is a, it's a fun story, except he didn't have to play. And he wasn't the Zamboni emergency, emergency yes. goaltender. He was the actual backup goaltender. You know, it's like the Dallas Cowboys having to call up a backup for Dak Prescott from high school, and then he actually has to play. You know, so, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of teams that have that situation right now. It's not just the Toronto Maple Leafs. I do want to ask you a little bit about about some of the things we saw in last night's game, and I, I'm sure you and Brent Gunning spoke about this on on the Leafs Nation post game. But you know, I, I wonder after seeing two pretty good games for Marner, and he you know, gets off the Schneid, gets the tap in goal. Do we think maybe he's starting to uh, perhaps ease up on on? Because I feel like he he was being really hard on himself over the cor- course of the, uh, the the kind of drought to start the year. So I wonder if he's maybe starting to ease up on being so hard on himself. Well, and by the way, he got a standing ovation. The crowds have really been good, okay? I think the, uh, the fans get blamed a lot, like, oh, my God, you put all this pressure on guys. The fans have actually been really good. And uh, I, I think I agree that everyone's human. Probably Marner has been putting a little bit of pressure on himself, and hopefully, you know, hopefully he can relax a bit. I, I, I maintain that, look, the, this 82 games, uh, there'll be peaks and valleys. Um, it was looking a little bit ugly after the Pittsburgh debacle, just the manner of that game with the injury ravaged lineup they played against the Penguins. But hey, as we start our conversation, always it's game number 83 forward. So as long as game number 83 forward goes better, uh, I can handle a more uneven 82 game season with the ebbs and flows. Uh, I, I think there's some intangibles and, and maybe to your point, maybe this is why 
Marner, whether he actually did relax more or not, that uh, I just like some accountability. First, the Riley contract was great. It takes away that distraction. Then I loved Austin Matthews getting pissed in Chicago. I loved him yelling, too slow! You know, because that's the whole thing. When you're in a funk, when you're in a slump, you know, you, the things you do really, really well, and one is the Maple Leaf speed, you kind of get away from it. And I like that he got a little crusty and a little feisty. And I liked after the game, William Nylander just said, yeah, we can't have pity parties. We can't be feeling sorry for ourselves. And, you know, good, good. I, I, you know, I, I haven't heard enough from this. I, I keep thinking, like, there's, there's this coddled thing, whether it's re- re- real or imagined, about, oh, God, don't, up, don't upset them. No, you know what? It's professional sports. Just the way it goes. So I, I, I liked well, from this young leadership group. What I saw was, uh, you know, maybe some examples of young leadership. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, right? Like, I mean, you you definitely want to see the kind of nights you had from John Tavares. He had three points, a, a nice game from the captain. But you also want to see the emotion from guys like Marner, Nylander, and Matthews if they're going to be the the staples, the core four, as we've been referring to them. Um, you know, during their tenure here in Toronto, uh, chatting with Gord Stelic, co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post game. Uh, you know, I want to ask you about the power play, Gord. What 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 is a good way to resolve the PP one issues? Like, maybe is it moving Marner up top? Is it doing something with Jason Spezza? Like, what do you what would you do to alleviate these PP one concerns? I almost wonder if they should stop talking about the power. Like, uh, you know, one of the one of the uh, Chris Cuthbert. I, I just love him as a play by play guy, and he had one of those great. I think it was Wednesday night against Chicago when he just said, well, Leafs go on the power play. Their last 100 power play opportunities, they've scored nine times. I wasn't great in math, but this is the easiest math equation going to, you know, figure out what their power play percentage was. And I think they didn't score on two more. So you're talking like, what, under 9% at that point. Yeah, the second unit is the one that scored last night in the power play and, and did it well. I mean, one thing they are doing is they're not keeping the first unit out there for a buck 30. They're making uh, the change quicker. And that second unit got the goal. Uh, you know, I, I'm this one. I'm really baffled by, and I and I respect the. You know, some people can be sarcastic about the coaches and whatever. I, I respect their ability and knowledge and that, and they got to be frustrated. And you know, they're throwing good ideas there. But um, I, I just sometimes, you know, I, I, I go back. I go back decades ago. But Scotty Bowman had a line that. Now keep in mind, what a great Montreal Canadian team he had. But he said. We almost never p- practiced the power play because Guy Lafleur would always screw it up in practice. So I just kind of left it, and, and their power play would kill, right? With basically, with basically no practice. Now I don't think you can quite do that in 2021, but you know maybe there's an element just in in, in the in, in the short picture that 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 maybe is applicable. Yeah, I, th- I I will be curious to see if any changes are made or if they kind of stick with it for the next couple of games. Of course, I think the next game is on Tuesday against the Vegas Golden Knights. So that'll be a, a fascinating test because certainly, again, you know, you're encouraged. The fans should be encouraged by what they saw against the Blackhawks and against the Red Wings. But I think playing teams like the Golden Knights and so on will be a, a truer test of where the Leafs are this season. But like you said, it's an 82-game season. If anything goes anything goes in the 82-game season, if it means they can have a good 83 and onwards. Um, I do want to ask a little bit about uh, Jason Spezza. I mentioned his name before. He's playing, I want to say, Gordy's playing on average 11 minutes a night. Is there a case for him to play more or, or at least alter his role at all? Or would you like to, to see that stay the same right now? Yeah, and, you know, and by the way, schedule too, Tampa Bay Thursday and Boston right. Saturday, the yeah. old Atlantic Division rivals. So, yeah, it's, it's a really good week. It's a really good taste, tester's choice week, which we kind of missed in uh, in the all-Canadian Division COVID world. Uh, 
uh, you know, the power play again to go back, like, like, sorry, the big guns have to be the big guns. They got to be the big guns. They got to be on the power play at, at, at the end of the day. But Jason Spezza, uh, and I thought Zach Bogosian did it to uh, kind of that role last year on D, and I think they miss a veteran Zach Bogosian type defenseman this year, you know, with uh, what's uh, giving what Spezza does up front. Although in Spezza's case, wow, uh, you know, and, and it really shows. Uh, the disrespect he got from Mike Babcock was, and, and how, uh, how how apropos it was that things fell apart. I mean, that was the tip of an iceberg nobody saw coming a couple of seasons ago. But uh, uh, to maybe be more of a power play, uh, play on the power play a bit more, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. You know, keep in mind, the Leafs season, which, okay, last two last game and a half has been solid, but there's been a lot of unevenness to it. They've had, like, no injuries with all due respect to yeah. Ilya Mikheyev, right? And so all of a sudden you're going to get into that situation, and guys like Jason Spetz and Wayne Simmons will have to play more on the big three line. So uh, uh, I just, uh, I mean, it's kind of a corny word. I find him a treasure. I just, uh, when, when he was in the press box a couple of years ago at the start and as a healthy scratch, he couldn't have been nicer, couldn't have been more personable. You don't really see many of the guys or chat with many of the guys like that. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's coming up with things at, at critical times. He's just a, a, a great, great whatever, whatever you want to put him in the depth chart because he can move all around it. Also a fantastic laugh. One of the one yeah, of the best yeah, laughs in does. hockey, I dare I say. He does. He does. Uh, I do want to ask you as well um, about some of the newer guys: Michael Bunting, Andre Kasha, David Kampf. You know, specifically Kasha. Like, what have you made of his play so far this year? Like, sometimes Kasha will make like an awful play defensively, and you kind of go, "Oh, what's going on there?" And then, and then also sometimes he can remind you that he does have the potential to perhaps be a top six forward as well. Yeah, well, first of all, Michael Bunting. And first of all, Michael Bunting, let's face it, you know, it's tough to fit in somewhere new, particularly when the team's not killing it. I right. mean, they were in – I mean, exhibition counts a bit. And, and, and they were playing the new guys a lot better in exhibition when the team was playing better. But Bunting's certainly been the best fit. And, you know, I think Brent Gunning is president of the Bunting fan club. Agreed. He says he knows his second cousin, yeah. some obscure <laughs> thing, but I'll leave it with him. But, you know, in Cash's case, to your point, I thought if you remember the Ottawa game, the third goal – Ottawa got in the first period. And remember, it was like with less than one second left. And Cash had the puck. And, I mean, there were seconds left in the period, and there was no reason for him to try to hustle it to the blue line, right? And, and he did. Ottawa kept it in with like three seconds left and got that goal. And to me, that was the thing. I don't know, again, when it's your, your new team and you're trying too hard to impress, but that's exactly the kind of the point you're talking about. I've seen the best of times and worst of times, and we're not even 10 games in. So, I mean, there's a lot more to play out there. But I, I, I agree with you with that assessment. Uh, before I let you go, Gord, and I appreciate you being uh, generous with your time for me today, uh, I do want to ask you real quick, thoughts on the uh, Sandine-Lilligan pairing? I, I thought it was uh, really exciting to watch, and I'm, I'm just, generally speaking, you and I have spoken about these guys before, but I just, on, on the whole, I've been pleasantly surprised about what we have seen from Sandine in particular, and last night may have been Lilligan's best game as an NHL player. Well, when you see Sandine, I'm still trying to figure out Matt Sandine and those commercials he's doing, right? I mean, wow, those sort of came from nowhere. Uh, yeah, I got two. And then the other annoying one is when they preview Hudson and Rex because our dog Blue keeps barking all the time and that, when that dog barks. So anyway, but to your point, uh, playing them together, yeah, I like that. I like that. And, you know, Lilligren went out uh, killing some penalties. Granted, I think Brody was in the penalty box then, so that was one of the reasons. But, you know, we, we, we go back to – the great, you know, the great years of those young kids up front. And one year, all three of them won Rookie of the Month, right? Marner won it one month, Matthews another, Nylander another. That's never going to happen again. Like, the NHL Rookie of the Month and three different players on the same team won it. What it also meant was the cap space 
they were on the entry-level contracts. And that's where you got to start develop, you know, bringing guys up in that to replace what those guys were doing then at kind of a bargain basement. And that's more so on the D. On the D, they got to do that. Man, I don't know what it is about not being developed any D. And, and that's why it's key. These are two first-round picks. They're making reasonable cap money. But, you know, you think at one point, one, one of them anyway would be a little bit more entrenched in the lineup. So uh, I was a little baffled why Sandine didn't get more ice time last year during, during the course of the season. It kind of came on late. So, you know, you got, you got to see what these guys can do. And, and uh, I like that Sheldon Keith kind of said, look, I've not been happy with the D. I mean, the forwards are getting all the blame for not scoring when they weren't playing well, but D was not either. So uh, I, you know, I like what I've seen so far. I found it very encouraging. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun to watch so far, and I and I like you said the word encouraging I think is definitely the one to use when it comes to Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren. But again, chatting with Gord Stelic, uh, co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post game, you'll hear him on Tuesday following the game against the Vegas Golden Knights. But again, Gord, appreciate you taking the time for me this afternoon. Uh, have a good rest of your Sunday, and I'll talk to you again later. Yeah, happy Halloween to you and everybody out there. Okay, it's nice to have that one back. Absolutely, yeah. There he goes, Gord Stelic again, Leafs Nation co-host. Uh, pre, post, and of course, intermissions as well on nights. The game is right here across the network. Yeah, Leafs, uh, uh, they're such a fascinating bunch to me. Again, I temper my expectations against games like the Blackhawks and Red Wings, like I've been saying all afternoon. But at the same time, I, I do I do think as the season goes on, will we see more of the Toronto Maple Leafs we expected to see right off the bat? I think so. Right. I think so. I know a lot of people, you know, you hear things like, oh, well, the expected goals for is is still pretty good. And they're taking lots of shots from here on the ice and here on the ice. And the heat maps show that generally speaking, they're still doing well. You know, I know a lot of people don't really have time for that sometimes, especially when it comes to like the, the way we view hockey. <laughs> I think sometimes I, I like that kind of stuff. I freely admit, but I know some people don't. At the same time, I do think we will slowly start to see the Leafs begin to get better. I mean, is this sure? Is this a flawed team? Sure. Is every team probably to a degree pretty flawed? Sure. I again, I do think that, right? I think uh, largely speaking, you could probably point to maybe two or three things wrong with virtually every team. Uh, again, maybe right now, like maybe you, maybe you don't do that for teams that are, are going, things are going well for like we talked about, like the Panthers and like the, uh, the hurricanes as well, certainly. But right now, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, going into the season, the Leafs were, I think, by many projections, expected to get to or above the 100-point plateau. And right now, they're at, what, nine points on the season? So still uh, 91 points to go for the Leafs. And uh, like Gord mentioned, games against the Golden Knights, the Lightning, and the Bruins all on tap. So those are some pretty good benchmarkers for this point in the season. And like Gord said as well, the Leafs are still pretty healthy. So that'll be fascinating to watch. But, I mean... Again, I think that the the disconnect with fans and the product on the ice is, I think, getting a little better as the season goes on, as we all start to like, start to realize what this team is, dare I say, right? So I, it'll be again when we get when we see what the Leafs look like against the Vegas Golden Knights, who are who is basically since their inception have been a pretty tough out. I think we can start to make some more. Maybe like maybe definitive is not the right word, but some more concrete judgments about at least certain parts of the lineup, right? Like remember how we all talked about, oh well, is Muzzin, is Muzzin? I almost said Muzzin. Is his Muzzin uh, covering for uh, Justin Hall a little bit? And now that he's a little older and maybe dealing with a couple of you know bumps and bruises at this age, maybe he is maybe he can't cover for Hall just as much, which eventually led to the D pairing shakeup. What is Travis Dermott at this point in his career? Right? Is, is he ever going to be more than what we think he is? Because I feel like we've been giving 
chance after chance after chance to Travis Dermott. And hey, I mean, if he does turn into something more reliable, I think that'll be more exciting. But at the same time, will that happen? I think is a valid question to ask, right? I mean, we talked about this with Gord and certainly Mike Stevens at the top of the show at one o'clock. But again, Rasmus Sandin and of course, Lilia Green as well. Those two guys, I think, will be, I mean, sure, they're the third pairing now, but will they always be that? Or I don't think so, right? I think the way this the way this is going, Riley and Muzzin under contract for a couple more seasons, certainly Riley more now that he signed the extension. But if will we ever see either of those guys split and put with uh, Riley or Muzzin? I mean, probably more Lilligan than anyone else. I don't know. I think that'll be a valid, those are all valid questions to ask ones. Again, will we get the definitive answers this week? Probably not. Will we get definitive answers even by the end of the season? Maybe not. It's You never know. But it will be something interesting to track as we continue uh, to go forward here into the 2021-22 NHL season. But again, always fun chatting and catching up with Gord Stellick. I do agree with him also, by the way, when... Uh, when he says that Brent Gunning is the uh, president of the Michael Bunting fan club. Agreed. He ab 1 million percent absolutely is. No one likes Michael Bunting more, probably not even Michael's Michael Bunting's own family. No one likes him more than Brent Gunning. I'm not, that's not a diss at all. Gunning loves him. <laughs> some Bunting. Uh, but again, you can hear uh, Gordon Gunning uh, on Tuesdays. And again, after every Leafs game, regardless of whether or not it's on the fan, uh, you can hear the Leafs nation post game on uh online wherever you get your pods itunes google play anything else like that your po- favorite pod catcher let's say uh when we what's going to step aside when we come back we'll chat with brendan deague of the football post um co-host of the double doing podcast and touchdown town uh we'll chat with brendan about the going ons right now over uh, week eight across the national football league the uh, philadelphia eagles are currently enjoying a 41 to nothing lead on the Detroit Lions. That is correct. A 41 to nothing lead on the Detroit Lions. If you bet on the Detroit Lions today in any way, shape, or form, you know what? Shame on you. Shame on you. I will say I will own this. I definitely recommend it to people who are playing fantasy football. I 100% recommended to start Kenneth Gainwell. And I think last I checked, I haven't checked since we, we finished talking with Gord, but before the conversation, I think uh, he had one carry while Jordan Howard, a practice squad running back at this point in his career, caught two touch has has run in two touchdowns. While Boston Scott, ostensibly the guy below Gainwell on the depth chart, has also run two in as well. Just a just an absolute beatdown for the 0-7 Detroit Lions right now in Detroit, no less. I kind of feel bad for their fans, honestly. If you're if you're a Lions fan listening to this, maybe because you turned the TV off, I do feel a little bit bad for you. Uh, similarly, the Rams are absolutely annihilating. Uh, the Houston Texans right now. I believe last I checked, it was 38 nothing. I don't know if that's changed in the last couple of minutes, but again, it probably doesn't matter. We will chat all things NFL with Brendan D coming up next. Blowouts and close games alike. That's straight ahead. I'm Michelle Ali. This is Sportsnet Today. We'll be right back across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Alley with you. One more segment to go across the network. We're going to bring on Brendan Deeg in a moment to chat some week eight in the NFL. A, kind of a strange Sunday. Kind of like an odd Sunday in terms of some of these scores. I mentioned the Eagles-Lions one before the break. We'll talk to Brendan in a sec. But before uh, we do, I did mention, um, well, I have been mentioning throughout the show that 
Uh, you can send in your favorite and least favorite Halloween candies. Um, and of course, uh, you, everyone who texts in will be entered in a draw to win a, a little gift card we got here. But um, I do want to bring in Brendan Deeg now, of course, from Football Post and uh, the host of the Double Doink podcast and, of course, Touchdown Town as well. And Brendan, uh, before we get to the football, any any favorites or least favorites when it comes to uh, ca- Halloween candies today? I'm a chocolate guy. I've never been kind of like the uh, like the fuzzy peaches and those type of candy. I'm right. all about the chocolate bars. Okay. All right. And you, do you have, a, do you have like a, a, a particular favorite chocolate bar? I know a lot of people are saying like Coffee Crisp on the text line. Wonder Bar is a very popular one. Do you have a, you have a favorite? That's my favorite Wonder Bar right Ooh, there. All right. Yeah. You know what? I got to say, like, I, I've never been a huge Wonder Bar fan. I don't dislike it by any means, but I, I haven't. I just I haven't eaten tons of Wonder Bars. But a lot of people on the text line would agree with you. So there you go, Brendan Deeg's uh, personal pick: Wonder Bar on this uh, All Hallows Eve. All right, Brendan, let's chat some of the uh, early results. Um, none of the games done quite yet, but they're about to wrap up. So I guess we can talk about some of the the ones that are not in doubt. And I think we can basically start with Eagles, Lions, and Rams, Texans. And uh, boy, the Rams now leading thirty-eight to seven over the Texans. And the Eagles leading, last I checked, 41 to nothing over the Lions. So, um, God help anyone who bet absolutely anything to do with the Detroit Lions today. Uh, maybe that's just a bad decision, generally speaking, considering they're 0-7. But, I mean, boy, I, I got to say, I recommended to people that they should play Kenneth Gainwell today for a fa- fantasy picks. And the guy has been invisible uh, in favor of someone like Jordan Howard, even. I know Boston Scott was always going to be involved to a certain degree, but boy, I mean, Jordan Howard getting more run over someone like Kenneth Gainwell. I'm not sure what happened in uh, Detroit today. Yeah, look, I'm an Eagles fan, and I was expecting uh, Kenneth Gainwell to be kind of the focal point of his offense. And it took a mild Sanders injury for this coaching staff, Nick Sirianni and the office quarter, Shane Sykin, to start running the football. Yeah. Like, look what happens when you run it instead of throwing like 60 times a game or 50 times a game with Jalen Hurts. Was doing Jalen Hurts had I think was eighty one percent of the Eagles total yards heading into this game and look what happens when you give the ball to your running backs and you use play action behind it they've coached a tremendous game I actually uh, I actually picked the Lions to win this game and it didn't look too much I, I didn't uh, I did not expect the Eagles to come out like this I thought the Eagles were probably playing the worst football in the league heading up into this game so this is kind of a big confidence boost for this fan base. And in um, the team in general, but they, they just need to continue this going. Like you, there's no need to put so much pressure on Jalen hurts when he's just only into his like 12 start. It just never made sense the entire year. So this is the game plan that they should have been doing from the start. And on the Texans side of the ball, uh, they scored 14 points combined in the last three games. So uh, that's, uh, that's as far as it goes there. Yeah. The Texans are, I mean, I think we kind of knew they would be bad to uh, coming into this season with all the, the chaos going on and the Deshaun Watson stuff and everything, you know, everything deservedly was coming their way, but boy, I mean, a 38 to seven shellacking at the hands of the Los Angeles Rams. But you know what? On the Rams side of things, I think we can all, we all probably would have guessed that the Rams were going to win this game, but they look so dominant. I mean, we've been talking about this a lot since Matthew Stafford got traded back in the offseason, but I mean, they look like probably the best team in the NFL, I would say, right? I know there's some competition from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're going to play later today. The Packers, they played already upsetting the uh, Cardinals on Thursday night football. Um, The NFC is pretty stacked or maybe at least top heavy, but the Rams look absolutely phenomenal. And I mean, again, you cross your fingers and hope for no injuries, especially if you're a Rams fan, but they have looked terrific with Matthew Stafford helming a Sean McVay offense. Yeah, look, this offense uh, was as advertised. Like, they, they, Matt Stafford kind of walked right into this offense and picked up quickly. 
The one thing I will say about the Rams is their defense hasn't been as good as last year, and I know it was never going to be the Brandon Staley left. Um, Don or guys like that are getting a little older, but their defense is still kind of in that bottom 12, bottom 10 range in football outsiders DVOA metric, which is kind of like an analytic look, um, analytic look at defensive scoring. So they, they, their defense has to kind of stay about mediocre, maybe just a, around average from the kind of maybe be a Super Bowl contender because I think the Buccaneers defense is a little better than them. Uh, so I, I do agree. I do think the Rams right now are probably playing the best football in the NFL. However, they have played the Texans. And the Giants, their schedule has been really, really weak. So when they start hitting some of their division opponents coming up, then we'll kind of see what they're made of. Yeah, we'll be like the Rams, Seahawks games and Rams, Cardinals games. I feel like those games historically have always been kind of wacky, like something wacky has always happened in those games. And I know that's like that's not exactly a scientific way to uh, to, to look at it. But it, it, I am excited. I do agree with you, though, Brendan, um, that, you know, when it comes to how the Rams will be measured, it will be how they certainly do within their own division in the NFC West. Uh, chatting with Brendan Deeg, writer for the National Football Post. Um, I do want to ask as well about the New York Jets. I mean, they are hanging in tough against the uh, Bengals that absolutely whacked the Baltimore Ravens last week. 24-20 to 20 right now with about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. What has Robert Saleh done so far that you've seen in Week 8 to to perhaps contain uh, Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon and the rest of these guys going into the fourth quarter here? Yeah, their defense has been getting after them, and they've been playing really good red zone defense so far. The Bengals have struggled in the red zone this entire game. And, uh, look, I've always been a solid guy. I know it's been kind of a rough start, but I think he'll get it going. Like, it's tough to kind of jump in and be a head coach in New York with, like, with just the roster in general. Right? They don't have – they probably have a bottom three, bottom four roster in, in the NFL. So, it's tough. It's going to take them a year or two. I, I don't – think Jets fans should be kind of freaking out. It's been kind of like panic land in New York a little bit. They're kind of maybe double-checking to see if that hire was uh, the right call. I think it was. And, yeah, they've been confusing the Bengals. Robert was really good at disguising the defense, kind of confusing quarterbacks, and they've done that. And I know Mike White, I, I think Mike White got hurt, but he wasn't playing too bad before that. Yeah. I know he had a couple of picks, but uh, a couple of them were tip balls. Like It wasn't all his fault. He had a couple. He had a really nice sort of burials in the end zone. So, look, I, I never – they just traded for Joe Flacco for a fifth-round pick. It made no sense. Like, why are you giving up an asset to trade for Joe Flacco when you can just play a guy like Mike White? That, that trade made no sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think this team has potential. Like, when Zach Wilson comes back and stuff, it's just you got to be patient. It's going to be a year or two. Um, kind of judge him at around the middle of 2022 and then kind of take a deeper look at Salah. Yeah, Mike White almost seems like someone who, even if Zach Wilson does come back, maybe to protect the uh, high-priced rookie, maybe you maybe you just start Mike White like going forward if he if he continues to acquit himself well like he has these past couple of weeks. I mean, even like when I know the Jets got blown out last week against the Patriots, but even so, I mean, he he didn't look half bad, all things considered, considering he was stuck into a game kind of on an emergency basis. But it it will be fascinating to see how the Jets continue to evolve this season. And again, they're not out of this game against the uh, the Bengals. Um, uh, right now, again, 24 to 20 with about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I do want to look at the 49ers and Bears game. I believe the 49ers, last I checked, Brendan, um, it was, we're enjoying a one-point lead on the Bears. And I guess uh, no Matt Nagy coaching the Bears today, but who knew that if you decided to get Justin Fields out on bootlegs and play actions that he might not look like the worst quarterback in the NFL. I guess the only person who didn't know that was uh, Matt Nagy. Yeah, it's funny when he, uh, the one game that he's out uh with the COVID um, on COVID list that he kind of takes off. And right when I jumped on, he had an incredible play. I don't know if you've seen it yet. <laughs> no, it was about a 20 yard rush to the end zone. It was probably the best play of the day so far. I have a big Chicago, Chicago bears fan as my, uh, 
is my co-host of the Double Dog Podcast, and I know he's uh, he's pretty excited to see this. So, yeah, look, I, I think this Bears offense always had potential, and that guy always said Matt Nagy has been keeping this team back. I hate the play calling. The offense is so vanilla, and they have talent. And Justin Fields is a good enough quarterback. Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson are good wide receivers. There's no reason why this offense can't be at least just maybe a little below average, or they shouldn't be the worst offense league. Like they haven't had a 200 yard passing game yet this year. In the first seven games, that's the first time it's happened since 2008. Only the second time it's ever happened. So they're like their offense is on a historically bad pace, but it's great to see Justin Fields playing like this. Yeah, I think Justin Fields was always one of the more fascinating athletes just coming out of college. I think, I mean, look, we all knew that virtually every quarterback, rookie quarterback coming out of the draft this past year was going to be viewed as somewhat of a project. Mac Jones has impressed, uh, and he and he was admittedly uh, viewed to be as the most, you know, quote-unquote NFL-ready. But Trey Lance and Justin Fields were always going to have to take their time coming up. And I almost feel like, like maybe this is just the way we view sports now, but especially because Joe Burrow comes in great right away. You know, other guy, other rookies coming in, and they're, they're fantastic right away. And then you see guys like even Trevor Lawrence to a degree, right? All the rookies from last year struggling. And you think to yourself, ah, oh, boy, are they busts? And maybe that's just like a kind of an indictment of how we 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 consume sports, especially from the NFL, because a lot of these rookies, hey, look, they they might very well go on to be very very good NFL players, but like maybe eight games into their career isn't always the uh, the best time to make a, a a hard judgment on any of their particular skills. No, one hundred percent agree. Like fan bases and just kind of football in general, it's a lot of like, what have you done for me lately? Like after six days, after one game, you're kind of yeah. zooming, taking a big picture look, and I look, I'm guilty of it too, right? Like. Being like being an Eagles fan, this team has been kind of a roller coaster ride the last three years. So I'm really guilty of kind of zooming out and always looking at one game. And so you have to kind of, and especially this kind of translates to the rookie quarterbacks thing is you got to give these guys time. Like we're, they're not always going to come in and light it up. And we've been spoiled with guys that have done that, right? Um, like, like Joe Burrow, for instance, came in and was really good, but all the, like those, it doesn't happen very often, right? Like those, there's kind of a dime a dozen. A lot of the time, you got to let them play, got to let them learn to play. But like, look at Aaron Rodgers, right? When he came in, he took two years off. Right. What would have happened if you played right away? You don't know. Right. So but the other thing is, too, is if you take a quarterback high now in the draft, they kind of have to start early because the team's so bad. You kind of become your best player. So it all depends on the situation you get into. But, yeah, you're 100 percent right. Like if you're a if you're a fan of a team with a rookie quarterback right now, just be patient. Um, I, I really like this rookie quarterback classic. I'm a huge Trey Lance guy. I think Justin Fields got tremendous down. Trevor Lawrence looks pretty good. He's going to get better. So I think all these guys will be fine. You just have to be patient. And we'll certainly see uh, uh, not in one of the not one of the early games, but in about maybe about fifteen twenty minutes, we'll see another rookie in uh, Mac Jones get going in L.A. against the Chargers. Justin Herbert and the Chargers. That game is at four o'clock. Um, I do want to ask as well about the Steelers and Browns game. A close game right now. Five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Steelers leading fifteen to ten. Um, like I know Big Ben is. How shall we put this, uh, Brendan? B- Big Ben is not only on the the last nine of his career. He's like walking off the 18th hole to the clubhouse with like a beer in his hand, right? That's what he's that's what he's doing right now. And you know what? Still, the, he is he is marshalling the Steelers' offense again. It has been an, a, a slugfest, and these are two very good defenses. So you probably could have expected this to a certain degree. But Big Ben has been, I guess, like a he's a more of a game manager at this point in his career. Not that that's necessarily like an insult or anything like that. But at this stage, with the waning arm strength, that the Steelers are leading the Browns, and again, the Browns are beat up, no no doubt about it. But that the Steelers are leading them by five points is, I think, a testament to the coaching staff in Pittsburgh and certainly the way the defense is constructed as well, despite the fact that a low-scoring game is probably what we could have expected today in uh, in Cleveland. 
Yeah, the Steelers' defense is going to have to carry them. Like, they're going to have to be spectacular. Like, I, I, I don't know if you remember week one against the Bills, they shut right. down that offense. Yeah. They're going to have to do stuff like that. They're going to have to shut down top offenses to kind of be successful. Ben Roethlisberger is not going to carry this offense to the promised land or even go far in the playoffs at all. Um, Najee Harris has been fine. Like, I think that I think using him as kind of the focal point has been okay, but he's getting a really heavy workload. He's getting a tremendous amount of touches, and it's not like he's getting a ton of production out of it, but I, I don't think it's fine. I think it's fine to give. Tim the boy, he's probably your best player on offense. It's funny, uh, you said that he's on like the last let's say, of his career. Sports books also think that Ben Roethlisberger today, 0.5 rushing yards was plus like 150 at all sports books. <laughs> like they, they didn't even expect him to cross the line of scrimmage with the ball. So yeah, he, uh, he he's, he's definitely slower, definitely um, lost some juice, and it was just stupid to bring him back anyway. It never made sense. They should have moved on this year, and now you're kind of seeing the uh, pain points behind that, bringing back a quarterback that looked bad last year, and you're just kind of keeping him around because you think you owe it to him. And good teams cut the guy a year early, not the year too late. Oh, so let me ask you about uh, some 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 of the quarterback situations for some of the later games coming up. And one of them, certainly uh, Washington, Denver, that's a later game as well. Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Two Gloves, as they as the people like to call him. What do you think of uh, good old uh, Teddy Bridgewater's play down in uh, in Denver? Will he be the quarterback past this year? No, I, I don't think so. Denver, like he doesn't look like the answer, right? Like he looks kind of what you expect, right? They trade a six round pick for him. You're probably getting that sort of production. It, it, there's no way Denver's looking at him right now and considering him the long-term answer. The biggest problem with Denver right now is they were supposed to have a top three defense. Like they were supposed to be being right. okay with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater to kind of carry the offense, kind of just be a little mediocre, maybe a little above mediocre, and then have that defense carry them. And the defense just hasn't done that yet. And uh, I, I think it, I think you're going to see kind of maybe changes in the coaching staff. Vic Fangio, I, I, like he's probably – the one or two guys right now that I'm looking at that might be on the hot seat, they probably might want to go in a different direction. Nick Fangio is one of the smartest defensive minds of all time, no doubt. I just don't think he's a very good coach. Some defensive minds are just good coordinators, right? Like Jim Schwartz, for instance, a perfect example. Sure. He was a great coordinator in Philly. He just wasn't a good coach in Detroit. Sometimes those guys are around. So if I'm Denver, like right now, unless a lot changes, I would be looking to go after a young quarterback this offseason with your job capital and kind of trade some guys because look you drafted a lot of weapons they have a lot of young guys on the offense like the wide receiver position that need a quarterback to get them the ball so now would be the time to kind of go after a guy that can stretch the field get a better offense going and then yeah maybe just i think Vic Fangio would probably be the first one gone and then you hire a young offensive coach and maybe groom the quarterback yeah you know what that's a good point i mean denver basically has every piece it would seem at least on paper to be successful, right? Like a young athletic tight end, several very athletic, very fast wide receivers, a decent offensive line and a a defense that I think is still probably on the upswing when it's all considered right. When it's all said and done. Um, And so if you put in, I know like, for example, there was a lot of talk this off season about Aaron Rodgers getting traded to Denver and whether or not that does eventually happen. um, It'll be fascinating to see what Rodgers can do or not just Rodgers, but any kind of, new quarterback situation in Denver would look like, right? Because Denver, I mean, you know, in, in the uh, John Elway era of him running the team, the one Achilles heel he seems to have had is drafting a QB. So I, I will be fascinated to see uh, how that is, uh, how that is treated going forward. Because yeah, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is serviceable, but he's, he's, he's not exactly the guy who's going to elevate you uh, to the next level. I only have a couple more for you, Brendan, before you let you go. And I do want to ask you when it comes to quarterbacks, being able to elevate guys to the next level is I know Baker Mayfield is injured, but is he that guy? Like, is he someone capable, in your opinion, of elevating a team to a level they they have not gotten to? 
So the Baker Mayfield thing is so interesting. I can't wait to see what he gets paid this offseason or if Cleveland does pay him. Because nowadays, like, the quarterback market, there's no, like, middle-tier money. Yeah. Like, if you get paid as a quarterback, you get paid. Like, you are either getting in the top five, you're, or you might not be a top-five quarterback, but you get paid one, right? Like, Jimmy Garoppolo was the highest quarterback at one point in the league, right? So I'm going to be really curious to see what Cleveland thinks of him. If I'm Cleveland, I'm not dishing out over $30 million for him. I just don't think he's that type of quarterback. If you look at it, if you do pay him that, you're going to be the third-best quarterback in your division for the next five, ten years. So, like, I don't know if you're going to be able to win like that. I, it's, it's such a curious case. I'm so, I'm so curious to see what happens this offseason with him. I don't think he's a guy that's going to carry an offense, and you need a defense behind it. And Cleveland has a really good roster, so I think it fits here. But if I'm Cleveland, like, I'd maybe look to see if he can upgrade that position. I, don't, I think Baker's probably, like, 12th to 11th best quarterback in the NFL, and that doesn't always get you there. You, really, you need a really good defense behind it. Cleveland has somewhat of a good defense. I just – I don't see them right now as like a top AFC contender with Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I think that's probably where I fall to. It's not because I think Baker is terrible by any means. And again, like we were talking about, he is injured. He has the labrum thing and he's been, you know, he's dealing with injury over the course of the whole year. Totally understand that. But at the same time, yeah, whether or not he can be the guy that takes it takes the team to another level, I think is uh, is really fascinating to me. Um, before I let you go, uh, do uh, do the Chiefs and specifically does Patrick Mahomes get it together? Do the Chiefs make the playoffs this year, Brendan? They do. I think they do. I think they get a wild card position. I actually predicted earlier this season, before, like on our podcast pre uh, preseason predictions, that they were not going to win the AFC West. I actually predicted the Chargers would. I thought the Chiefs would take a step back. I didn't think they would take a step back this much. They just got to stop turning the ball over. Like yeah. the turnovers are just killing them. And I will say, I was not worried about their offense really. Like they were turning the ball over and they were still moving the ball. But last week was kind of tough. Like they, they couldn't put a touchdown on the board against Tennessee. Guys weren't getting open. That was the one thing I was really big on this offseason. They never replaced Sammy Watkins on that offense. They replaced them internally. They had Demarcus Robinson take a step up, a guy like Byron Pringle take a step up. And both of those guys were in the bottom 10 of yards per route run last year in the NFL, which is just a, a stat to show like your production every route. How much yards are you getting? It's just like kind of an analytical stat that way. And they were in the bottom 10. They never replaced Sammy Watkins. So I thought that was a big deal. They looked like they had a problem getting separation. If you take out Tyree Kill from that offense, and you kind of maybe let Travis Kelsey or the other wide receivers beat you, you can win that way. It's, it's Tyree Kill or die to that offense right now, or offense in general. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll make the playoffs. You still have Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the NFL. But I, I said it from the beginning. I, I thought they were going to take a step back. It's very hard to go to four straight AFC championships. Like It's so hard in, in the NFL. They were bound to take a step back. And yeah, I still think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll squeeze in the wild card. But uh, I don't think they're going to be at the top. I don't think they're going to be in the AFC championship game. Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be tough to see the Chiefs. I mean, they're gonna to have to get it get their stuff together. Um, but again, if there was ever a get right game, it's uh, playing on Monday night at home against the, the New York Giants of 2021. So uh, mm. that's that's more nice game. But Brendan, I appreciate you uh, taking some time as these games wind down. Enjoy the uh, second slate of games that start in about you know 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, we'll do this again soon, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. There he goes, Brendan Deeg, writer from the National Football Post, and of course co-host of the Double Doing Podcast and Touchdown Town. Yeah, boy, what a fascinating week eight. I mean, it has been, uh, it's been kind of like a weird week, I would say, right now. I mean, if you're a Bills fan, for example, the Bills are leading 17 to 11 with less than five minutes to go. Um, So that's definitely good when it comes to the local, quote-unquote, local team that we we like to look at here in Toronto. But, I mean, you look at some of these other semi-local teams like the Browns and the the Lions and the Eagles and stuff, it has been, a man, a a real real array of, of fascinating stuff going on here.
But again, you can uh, catch up on all the sp- uh, on all the scores on Sportsnet.ca, and of course, I'm sure on NFL.com as well. But uh, as I mentioned, all afternoon we've been talking about Halloween candy because, of course. It is Halloween tonight. I know, again, some people are going to be taking their kids out trick-or-treating later tonight. Uh, Some people already have gone partying. Maybe they will be partying later tonight. Whatever it is, I wish you all the best because it is always a fun fun occasion whenever you get to uh, go trick-or-treating here, a child, adult, whatever. I'm going to bring in our technical producer, Andrew Dutch Holland. And Andrew, as you've been heard, you know, we've been playing the... uh, the game of best and worst Halloween candy. You said earlier rockets are on the, uh, the, the, you know, I, I don't know what it's called, like the down list, the bad list, the naughty list for, for, uh, for candy. What is on Andrew Holland's favorite list, let's say for Halloween candy. Yeah. So I'm not that picky really when it comes to candy, like just kind of throw it my way, but I'm generally fall in favor of the chocolate side of things. So I like a crunch bar. All right. I really like a crunch like with bar. The, with the, with the, the rice the rice crispy things in exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I forget who it was. I think it was uh, Greg Wyshynski talked about the 100 grand bar. Right, yeah. I don't think we have it up here, but it's essentially a crunch bar with caramel like inside. So oh. I've never had it, but I guarantee I'd like it. But on the other side, like uh, Gord talked about liking, I think, getting pop. That's my least right. favorite, or not my least favorite, but that is, I don't understand that. Why throw, like, a can of Coke in there? Like, you've got these small bags of chips, and someone just drops a can of Coke, and, you know, okay, those are crumbs now, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't understand the, the, the pop thing. That's weird to me. I mean, you know you know that I love me some pop, right? So if I got a can of Coke, even if it was warm, I would be, uh, you know, very, very happy because I'll drink I'll drink Coke at like 8 a.m. If, if, if I could. If I could get away with it, I would do it, right? If my wife was okay with it, I would 100% do it. Um, yeah, I see one here, uh, a text on the text line. Graham in Toronto, um, he says, uh, the best was caramel-coated apples, but it's no longer safe to give out. Worst was those weird, those weird hard chewy molasses uh, with a witch on the raptor. He says, full disclosure, family consulted on this. The only way I could get them to listen to the show this afternoon. Uh, okay, f- fair, right? Fair. Um, Rick from Little Britain says, best candy, Reese's peanut butter cups. Worst would be an Astros win tonight. So I guess uh, Rick, not a huge fan of the Houston Astros. You know what? I... I am admittedly rooting for the Astros to win, if only because I want to see Dusty Baker get a World Series ring. But, I mean, if, if the Braves win tonight and they wrap things up, I'm not going to complain too much. Um, but, again, back to the Beng- uh, back to the, uh, the Bengals, back to the candy text line. I think, at least for me, agreed on the Rockets. I know you don't like Rockets. I gr- agree on candy corn. Many people saying candy corn, not so great. Um, I've never liked anything with caramel in it. Like, the really, like, like, I don't mind, like, caramel, for example, I think is the one thing I'm okay with. But those really, like, dense squares of caramel, for example, and yeah. I've never been a huge fan of those. Toffee is kind of the same thing. They stick to your teeth. But um, I'm kind of like you for the things I do like, like things like uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups or what have you. I'm, like, okay with all that kind of stuff. Oh, 100%. And I agree with you with, the like, the hard caramel stuff, like, Gord mentioned it earlier. A dentist would give that stuff out so it rips your fillings and they make more money off of it. But yeah, I like the sort of softer caramel stuff. Sorry. Okay. Before I, before we wrap up here, are you going trick or treating tonight? I am not going trick or treating tonight. <laughs> are you? No, I, I also am not. I'm going home. I'm going to watch the uh, remainder of these football games. To watch the Patriots and Chargers game, Cowboys Vikings later tonight. The World Series maybe will wrap up tonight. Actually, like relatively, I know no Leafs or Raptors, but like relatively speaking, a relatively busy night across the uh, world of sports. Good sports night, yeah. yeah for there sure. you go. So, all right, well, Andrew, I appreciate you putting the show here together for me, getting all the good uh, Halloween music. So uh, we'll do this again soon, my friend. Thanks, Joe.
All right, there he goes. That's Andrew Dutch Holland, our technical director. Thanks to all of our guests as well. Thanks to Mike Stevens. Thanks to Javon Shepard. Thank you to Greg Wyshynski, Gord Stalick, and of course, Brendan Deeg. Thank you to listening. It's always fun spending the afternoon with you. We will be back, I'm sure, next weekend. Actually, I think I am back on Sunday next weekend, and I'm sure throughout the week as well in the evenings. Uh, as, as we said, enjoy the remainder of the football games if you are a football fan. If not, we'll see if the World Series wraps up tonight. Atlanta has a three to one series lead over the Houston Astros. So we'll see if Atlanta wins the world series tonight, or if Houston forces, I guess what it would be a game six on Tuesday. But again, thank you so much for listening. This has been sports today. I'm show Ali. Have a happy Halloween, everyone.